Brought to you by some guys on the internet. It's been three years of our banter. Three years of miniatures and three years of games. Welcome to the Getting Table three-year anniversary. future people and welcome to our anniversary special with your host he's an authoritarian who loves star wars because he gets to play as the empire and crush those underneath him and tries to make people laugh by putting a rubber chicken in the air in formation major socks how's it going everyone thanks george i appreciate that and we have bruce who may or may not have a few ruse loose in the top paddock but he definitely has a face that's like a drop pie but that's fair. That's fair. I mean, I have seen myself in the mirror. I try to avoid it, but I have seen myself. <laughs> and the man that you heard to begin with is the man that loves us more than his own anniversary because he doesn't even know when his actual anniversary is, but he does remember when the getting table anniversary is because it's the only one that really matters. That's George. Well, to be fair, we also did pick April 1st. So, yes, this is a pretty good day to like, you know, hey, we're doing something. No joke. <laughs> I'm still surprised more people didn't accuse us of that to begin with. Because we, when we when we said that date, we were expecting people to ex- to think nothing was happening. That, that was kind of the, the hope and dream, you know. Yeah. And then it was just all likes. It's like, oh, okay, well, that's good. Yeah. <laughs> they, okay, they think we're serious. Well, I mean, we are, but, you know. 74 episodes in, and now our third year. 75. 75, sorry. 76 no, if you include this. Who has the college education and can't count? Me. <laughs> So, to celebrate our anniversary, we're doing something that we've never done. We're going to do a YouTube algorithm thing. We're doing a top 10 list. And because we're a gaming channel, we are doing a top 10 games that we enjoy. Um, each, each individual top 10, like. Yes. Yeah, they're, they're, we'll be discussing multiple top 10s. True. I'm, I'm, I'm actually looking here, and I think Major Socks and I no. Major Socks and I come close, but we don't. Come close a couple times. But, Bruce, you and I, we match up on number eight. Uh, I just want to make it clear that the original idea of this was that we were supposed to have secret lists. And does the person who ruined that secret want to put their hand up? It was George. What? You accidentally ruined the whole this is a secret list thing. Meh. <laughs> hey, only only three of us, four of us technically know, know the list. Everyone else who's going to pay, listen to this, it's still a secret until we tell them. Well, that's true. So, <laughs> Captain Socks, what's a good game to you? Get demoted again. Major. Major, sorry. Major Socks. <laughs> what's Private a good Socks. game for me? Private Socks, what makes a good game for you? Oh, thanks. Good game for me. Um, it has to keep your attention uh, or, or captivate your you as you're playing the game. I mean, you can play it hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times, but if it can still captivate you and get you excited to play it for the one millionth time, I think that's what helped make a good game, but also the playability and the skill level of learning a game also is very, very key. I mean, we, we talked about some last night where Infinity, is, it, it's a great game, but it has such a steep learning curve. So it's it's hard for new players to get into, but yet it's still, it. some people really, really enjoy it. And so I, mm. I think that's part of it too. I am on that enjoyment list, even though I've, by rights, I've only ever had a demo of Infinity. Um, I mean, that's all I've had too, and yeah, I mean that was enough for me to decide. Like, mm, yeah, no, I'm not gonna. Oh, that's that's fun. I mean, not every game is gonna be for everybody. That that, that doesn't make it yeah. a bad thing. Uh, and even to be fair, someone offering commentary on a game that they're not interested in is sometimes more helpful than a fan doing it. Mm-hmm. Uh, George, what makes a good game for you? Uh, 
playability. And, and, and well, that would be important. Very, that, that's a very broad, encompassing term. Like, how easy is it to play? How easy are the rules to understand? How how does the game keep you engaged? And how does the game bring you back to play it again and again and again? So, I, for, for me, playability is a big thing because it, it, it covers so much that if it doesn't have good playability, you don't want to come back and play it. You don't want to take the time to learn the rules, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, and, and, and I think that's a, the credit to very good game design of making a game replayable and have good play. Yeah. A game can become very samey very quickly if, if that balance isn't done right. I mean, yeah. and, and to be fair, like some people just want a game that is just that as well. Um, that, that, that's fine. Um, for me, um, it's kind of a mixture of, I mean, the lore is definitely an important part for me. Not always, but a game world that draws me in is, is an important factor. Um, especially for someone where, like, Dice just, and I know we harp on this as an inside joke all the time, but, but Dice really, really don't treat me well. Um, I mean, you guys have seen it um, via video, but you guys have seen how bad it gets and heard some of the horror stories. Um, so that does i mean there are people are going to read into that and that's fine uh but there needs to be more than just dice mechanics to draw me in i mean some games skip dice altogether but if the only thing determining whether you're going to have fun or not is whether you roll a six then i'm pretty much never going to pick the game up regardless of how interesting the minis are and the minis the minis are an important factor for someone that was doing shift work for a long time and struggled to get any games in um the hobby was the only part of that thing that i ever really got to touch on so that that's always been an important factor and even now i still do more hobby than i do actual play games i love games but the, the hobby is a very big aspect for me now later in this episode we are going to get an answer it's a slightly different question, though, from Lewis Clark of TT Combat, because I asked him the unfair question. So you'll have to listen to see whether he's actually willing to separate his babies or not. Uh, and during this list, we actually have additions from both of our colleagues. So Michelle has offered some commentary, as has Ben. Anyways, Michelle's number 10 is Carcassonne. Carcassonne. So Carcassonne is a board just, game. I just bought it tonight, actually. Nice. Uh, Carcassonne is actually a game I've wanted to play for a while. My friends were playing this to death, uh, even up until very recently. Uh, I kind of, because obviously nobody could get together up until very recently. I might have missed my opportunity to play this potentially, which is a real shame. Uh, Michelle really likes this. He still plays it every now and again with his wife. Uh, I kind of get the impression that this is a game he's been playing for a while. Carcassonne is, like, Carcassonne has been around, I believe, as long as something else on his list, which really says something. Uh, yeah. he, he likes the landscapes that you create with it, because, I mean, it, it ends up being quite pretty at the end of the day. So yeah. I, I think that's fair. Well, it, and it's it's infinitely playable because it's it's never the same game twice. Yeah, where you put yeah. the tiles, where you, if you haven't played the game, it's a little tile game where you lay down tiles yeah. to create this little landscape, and then wherever you put these little workers to gain victory points, it'll never be the same, like you said, George. Never be the same. Yeah. So, lo- great replayability. Yeah, agreed. George, you want to talk about uh, your number 10? Warhammer 40k. Um, and not so much for the game itself. Uh, I do enjoy the game when I do get a chance to play it. Um, but for me, it's on this list because that is the game that got me into this side of game. Like, there's all the board games you can go buy from your local box store that everyone knows about and are kind of lame when you know down this is the first game risk sorry monopoly uh the list could go on and on 
Um, Warhammer 40k got me into the there's more than just this this stuff out uh, that, that it's on my list simply for the fact of it it, it started my my my, my habit. There's, there's a nostalgia feel there. I, I suppose it's yeah. probably a fair comment there. Socks. Uh, mine's kind of similar actually to to what George just mentioned. Mine is Wings of Glory by Ares Games. It used to be Wings of War by Fantasy Flight until Ares picked it up. But the same kind of reason that George described Warhammer. Flames of War was my first game. It's not even on my list. Flames of War was my first miniature delve into the miniatures game. Wings of Glory, Wings of War was my second game. And being in the Air Force, it's a tabletop dogfighting game with little airplane miniatures. And so yeah. I just love it. Uh, just the scenarios that you can build. Um, they have point systems for the planes so you can build as big as the scenarios you want down to a couple of small little fighters. Uh, and so that's why I really enjoy that one. Um, we actually, before I graduated college, the game store that I had we actually built their own little campaign system for the game and loved playing that. So um, just the fond memories that I had of, of getting into the, the miniatures side of the game, like George said. Yeah. No, that, I'm going to poke some fun here of, you know, it, the dogfighting and everything says the logistics officer for the Air Force who doesn't. Yeah, I know, right. <laughs> <laughs> he gets to live vicariously through others. Exactly. Right. Just because exactly. he sits behind a desk and never does any work all day doesn't mean that he doesn't have dreams of, you know, eventually doing something that's helpful to somebody beyond paperwork. Yeah, that's about it. Bruce. Um, to, right. to be fair, Wings of Glory has been on my, I'd really love to try this for a long time. Uh, and I think I mentioned, I mentioned this at one point when we were talking about their changing over who was doing their production. Yeah, I, I would recommend it if, if, since you don't like dice. It's all damage shits. And so if you hit someone, you're going to draw a random damage shit out of the bag and it's going to be a zero to whatever on yeah. the spectrum or an explosion and you explode. So it's it's all random based on the damage shit you pull or or a damage card, depending on which version you play. The World War One version is damage cards. World War Two is damage shits. And so I kind of I kind of like the idea of both. Um, yeah. What, there's an unofficial mini of Snoopy so that Snoopy can fly against the Red Baron. And that's what I really want, um, but I, I don't know how to get it. It's very hard. Really it's a very hard mini to get access to. Yeah. Number 10 for me. Like, truth be told, this episode was my idea. Um, and it, it came from, look, I'm just going to call it like, it, this came from a top 10 that was done with a fairly big star recently. Uh, Trey Parker, and I was like, we should do something like that. Um, and I, str I struggled with this, and I knew I was going to struggle with this list from the moment that I suggested it, because I really don't do well with trying to pick what my favourites are. Um, now, I should have said this at the start, but I'm going to say it now. Regardless of the order of any of these games, being on the top 10 list of anybody is a good thing, so I'm hoping that we don't get a lot of this how am I only number X or how can you not how can you not put this game as number one? Because it's kind of missing the point. It happens in video games a lot as well, that sort of commentary. Yeah. We'll see. Hopefully we don't get much of that. My number ten, however, is Kings of War. Um I really enjoy Kings of War. I, I know that it's a game that not everybody gets into. Because, well, not everybody enjoys the fantasy aspect, I suppose. Uh, but even like, Mantic seem to have this thing where people really don't even look at them because it's Mantic, and I, I really don't get it sometimes. Uh, especially if a game where, like, this has a very balanced competitive aspect to it. It's really, really good. Um, and I love the whole... Like I was saying, a hobby needs to be a big part of what you're doing. The fact that you can create mini dioramas with everything that you do rather than just everything is on a single base, which you can do that as well. You can do it one way or the other, but I, I love this whole 
Like, this isn't just a unit of men, it's an art piece. Uh, I'm not going to sit here and say that I'm great at it, but I really do enjoy that aspect of it. Um, so, yeah, that, that's my number 10. Um, it was almost higher, but my list has kind of changed probably 10 to 15 times at this point since we came up with the idea. Which is funny because I did my list in like 30 minutes and haven't changed it once, so. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I did make a point of vice. I said a task that I knew I was going to struggle with. Nine. Uh, Number nine for Michelle uh, is Battlefleet Goth, and this is right around the same time where I got into the gaming with uh, Warhammer 40k, and some guys showed up, uh, and he was a, uh, they were called Outriders back then, and he demoed Battlefleet Gothic. Um, He likes it because cool spaceships, and had the shiny syndrome, bit over his budget though when it came out, you know, because teenagers don't have money. Um, It wasn't exactly uh, a cheap game when it came out either, though. It was... uh, Excellent. So I, I I will argue with uh, in comparison to uh, its parent co- game uh, Warhammer 40k it was mm-hmm. so um, but again teenager not a lot of money so yeah I, I totally get that uh, I th- I think that's a great number nine just because you know the game that brought us together <coughs> is a direct result of that game yep you could argue so yeah um I'll go with my number nine my number nine is Rumble Slam. Now, Rumble Slam is a game that we've talked about a bit. Um, Rumble Slam is wrestling, but on the tabletop. It's Blood Bowl, but wrestling. Um, Rumble Slam is so much fun. And it's, I mean, it's so silly in some ways. Like, Blood Bowl is really silly in some ways. But it just, in ways that make so much sense. And of all the sports or sports entertainment type things out there, wrestling is probably the one that lends itself to tabletop gaming the most because of the story aspect of everything that it does, regardless of whether you enjoy wrestling or not, too, just for the record. Um, it really lends itself to gaming very, very well, I feel. So, yeah, that, that's my top ten. Um, I haven't played Rumble Slam as much as I want to. Uh, I have had a few games of this, but I would love to be playing this regularly. It, it really is that good. Um, Socks. My number nine is Black Seas by Warlord Games. It is a Age of Sail Napoleonic era naval game. Um, yes, I'm Air Force, but yet I like naval naval games. I don't know. Shoot me. Whatever. Um, I just oh, like it. The Navy is awesome because big ships that go boom. Exactly. Yeah. Absolutely. And so being able to run around. So while I was in England, I was able to twice go uh, uh, as a down to the museum down at Portsmouth, go walk on the HMS Victory, which was the one that Lord Nelson fought during the Battle of Trafalgar. Well, you can have that ship in this game, and it's just so fun to be in this, as George said, big ship that goes boom, and it's just it's a lot of fun mechanics and everything like that. Um, so that's my number nine. I think it's pretty fair. To be honest, this is also a game that's pretty much spawned. Game. Like Kings of War Armada comes from this, yeah. like rule set yep. was. And it's not the only exactly. one. No, no. So what about you, George? Uh, my number nine is is two games that are virtually identical-ish. Uh, Forbidden Island and Forbidden Desert by GameRight. Uh, both these games were designed by one of, in my opinion, the greatest game designers there is, Matt Liebkopf. Uh, this game, these games, are the first on my list that are also cooperative games, which I've become a big fan of with, mm. you know, my teenager and mom, girlfriend, you know, playing. It's a lot more fun to play together than against each other. Yeah. Um, and these games are stupid hard. And you can make them even harder. So there's hard and then there's, you know, Steve Rogers getting beat up in the alley hard. Um, they're great games. The AI is beautifully well designed. Um, Which is the hardest uh, thing to do for, for games. Right. Um, these games are so well designed. They both have won um, oh god, I can't what it's called. Um, Mensa Award. Yeah. So 
that says something when you know when Mensa's gonna be like, this is cool. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so th- that's my number nine is, is those two. Ju- and again, everything's you know you put the tiles down, and so it's random every time. So you you're never playing the same game twice. Yeah. And the, like the oh. games aren't that big either. Like the boxes, it's a fairly normal sized game. It, it's quite. Yeah. It looks very simple. I haven't played this, but from what I understand, it looks very simple. But is this it? is the biggest of the two boxes? Yeah, I mean that's not big. You don't expect much to come from a box of that size, let alone the one that's smaller. Mm-hmm. So yeah, no, that's fair. Hey, number eight. number eight, Michelle's is Catan, and he says he liked it because he played a lot during the high school with his group of friends, and kind of like George liked in Forbidden Desert, Forbidden Island. Uh, this is very, very much replay ability is through the roof because you're rebuilding yeah. an island so many different ways. Yeah. And we're replacing the numbered tokens and the cities and everything. While I was deployed to Saudi Arabia, we, my group and I played Catan probably two or three game, n- nights a week. Yeah. We just love it that much. So This is um, one of the big games. Like This is huge. Massive. This is big enough that it's been joked about on actual national television. Um, and, and to be fair, who hasn't giggled at the uh, I've got wood for sheep joke? I mean, it's such a dumb joke, yeah. but it just works. I, I would argue this game also is the great, 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 great grandfather to every game here on the shelf. If we don't have Be one Catan, of them, we don't have so many games because that it, that game did so much for gaming. And yeah. it, it did the traders aspect right for one of the first. I mean, I'm not saying it's the first to do it, but it's the first that I saw that it kind of actually worked where it wasn't a frustrating part of the game that you just had to put up with. It just kind of, I mean, it can still get frustrating because people don't like giving up stuff, but the the trading aspect of this actually does help with the game as opposed to, yeah. now I have to do this again. Yeah. Oh, man, um, the robber just, the robber just roll, got rolled and half my hand is gone. Son of a crappy... Ugh. Just yeah. those moments are fun too. I mean, oh, in the yeah. middle of the game. Bruce, what's your number eight? My number eight? That's a very good question. What is my number eight? My number eight is Ticket to Ride. Um, funny thing. I know. So I actually own the anniversary edition of this, the one that comes with the individual train types for each oh, colour. The, the, the little wood ones? Yeah. No, no, like- no mine's hard plastic. Look, so, and, look. and one of my colours is like a circus train. Another one is like a wood train. They're all okay. different types of no, trains. Okay. It's also slightly no. bigger, um, yeah. so it takes up more room on the shelf, which obviously is never a problem in this army. Ticket to Ride <laughs> is another staple. Um, I sometimes think like, Ticket to Ride isn't really that old. I mean, it's not new, but it's not really that old. Um, Because it, it's been... Early it's, 2000s, I want to say. Yeah, it's like 20 years old. Or early something. to mid-2000s, if not a little bit sooner. Like, t- uh, Ticket to Ride reads like... What is it? 2008. So it was 10-year anniversary that I brought that. But Ticket to Ride has spoken in such high regard that you kind of just assume it's been around since uh, Carcassonne or um, Catan. Or, but it has it's nowhere near that old. It's just really yeah, good. Yeah. The, the other thing I, I like, and I'm going to jump in here too since we're sharing a number eight spot, um, is its ease of play. Yeah, like, it's really easy to teach. Five minutes and my mom knew how to play. Yeah. Right. That, it's that easy. And Learning to play thing- a new game is always really frustrating. But this was mm-hmm. just, it's the first game I played for the first time where I didn't feel stressed out. Yeah. And here's that doesn't make tickets. it a bad game. Yeah. yeah. Here's your tickets. Choose which ones you want. Look at the cities. Yeah. Here's Don't your train show anybody. Card. Here's your train cards. Yeah. Here's your train cards. 
This is how you lay out your trains by using these cards. That, that's pretty much the rules. And unlike a lot of other games that are really, really simple, this is another game where it's never really the same each time. I mean, there's different versions of the game that'll change it up. I personally, I've never played any of the other versions. I've only ever played the base. Um, and uh, it's just the, I, the only thing different is the maps. Yeah, I've played Ticket to Ride Europe, and there are some changes. Uh, yep. The other thing I will add into, because I thought this was such a great uh, they should be shipping here really soon. I should have them in my hot little hand any month Ooh, now. Oh, yeah, those new those Oh, new I trains. forgot about those. Yeah, the Kickstarter where you get, like, the old steam engine. Um, yeah, the Russian I remember that. Yeah, I remember seeing that when we discussed you know, that. And they're, they're more than just for Ticket to Ride, but 90% of their imagery was showing up for Ticket to Ride. So, yeah. Um, uh, and, th and that's how much, like, as simple as that game is, so it's just like, hey, I could do something for this game that would just, it's just aesthetically cool. Yeah. And it's cool enough that I wanted it. So, um, the, I, the I, only I downside I would say of Ticket to Ride is that in order for it to be fun, you really do need a decent group of people. Yes. Um, like, you can't, like, you can't really play this with two people, and that—that's really the only downside of it. Yeah, you need at least not, three. Yeah, it's not a two-player game. No, uh, it, it is a three-player to five-player game. There is—you can do two people, but it's not no. fun. No, it's boring. No. Um, that's probably. This is also one of the games that changed places on my list quite a lot. Uh, not by much, but it did go up two places and down a couple of places quite a few times. So, um, that leaves socks. Yep. So mine is Star Wars Rebellion. Uh, from Fantasy Flight Games. It's a board game. Yeah, it's... Woo! Star Wars! Um, <laughs> it, it is a... You can pretty much play thematic Star Wars on the board game. Um, it's a dungeon. It's Empire. a dungeon. It's a dungeon crawler, but for Star Wars. Not... I mean, kind of in a sense. Um, as the Rebels, it's Rebel versus Empire, and as the Rebels, you have your secret base that you can choose anywhere on the board, and you're trying to survive by playing out mission cards that gives you objective points to then... Um, earn objective points because the object of the rebel player is to survive the game or have the turn marker as it's progressing meet, meet up to your objective points that you've got that start at the top of the track. And so you're trying to get those to meet somewhere in the middle of the game um, before the empire finds your hidden base and destroys it. As the empire, you're trying to go out, send out probe droids through the galaxy and find the rebel base and then destroy it. And you have the death star so you can go off and destroy planets just like Alderaan in the movies and you've got ground combat you've got space combat and so it's a lot of fun thematically and it's it's different because you, yeah you have a the, the learning scenario that most games have and says okay put the rebel base here or area or whatnot but then after that once you understand it you can put it anywhere on the board and there's actually a expansion pack that i have that brought in the rogue one element to the game as well so the missions that you see in rogue one are, are now in the game and you have a little heroes that do different abilities throughout the game as well. So I like that, uh, and that's why it's in my top ten list. Yeah. Um, Say what you will about Grandma Tarkin, but he did solve Alderaan's unemployment. Very, in one shot. Yep. <laughs> seven. All right, moving back. So we've got number seven. And for number seven for Michelle is Stratego. Uh, he still has fond memories of playing this game with his brother. First war-related game that he'd ever played. Uh, Stratego is not something that I've ever played personally. I do know of it, because how could you not know about Stratego? Um, this is another classic, essentially. Very classic. I remember having... I actually had a wooden copy of it for the longest time, and after many moves, it kind of got destroyed, and I now probably should get it again, but I enjoyed playing it. It's funny you mentioned that. I'll, I'll touch base on that uh, when I get to it on my list. But yeah, there, there's a, I have a, a game kind of like that too, where it's like, ooh, I should get this. Yeah. Um, Socks, 
What's your number seven? My number seven is one that I just kick-started and backed uh, within the last year and a half or so. It's uh, Company Heroes by Bad Crow Games. The second Kickstarter should be coming out. They're saying June timeframe. But this is based on the computer game Company Heroes. And I love it just by the aspect that it was probably one of the best computer PC game to board game adaption I've ever seen. And that's not uh, something that usually goes very well, to be fair. No, not very well at all. And so uh, Doom, I really, Doom I really, did do it very well, but there's yes, not there, a lot there to are do. Couple, there's not a lot. And so I really like it because um, just by that aspect of the resource management that you have, but then also it has a built-in AI system that in the expansion pack that I bought as part of the Kickstarter that plays very, very well as well. So I can bring this with me wherever I go and just play by myself. And, and now my boys are starting to get into it too, which is awesome. Uh, but just the AI playability of, of designing. They actually have terrain packs that you can build your own maps and stuff like that. So that, that's the fun part too, is designing your own boards and scenarios and, and stuff like that. So yeah. that's my number seven. George. Bruce oh, or George, whoever. Uh, my, my number seven is, is Sellers of Catan. Um, and we already talked about that with uh, Michelle's. Um, the the one thing I will uh, toot the horn about for uh, Sellers Catan is you know I've got one of the original copies so I've got all the, uh, the old print. It's yeah. oh wow the yeah, that, that is an that, old one that is the original yeah, yeah so um, I suspect that might be worth yeah. money uh, and it's it's already it's still in pretty decent shape I mean it's a little collapsed and everything but I mean it's all there but here here's what I'm gonna U S board game of the year 1996 German game of the year 1995 like and it's still a solid game. Yes. It's one of those games where it, you know, my mom learned to pay, play it in ten minutes, and at the end of the game, she was two victory points behind me, and I'm like, "How did you do that?" You know, and that's just you know her cleverness of you know how her brain. Uh, the one thing that I think was really cool about this game, I think it was four years ago, I was cruising the aisles at a Walmart, and I saw it on the shelf there. Mm. That's how big it has become. Is it's on the shelves at Walmart. Walmart and, Target, yep. And, and oh, one of the really big things about it, and this isn't necessarily a good thing, but there is every version of Settlers of Catan that you could ever imagine. Like, there is Star Wars, there is probably Marvel, but that everything that you can imagine Settlers of Catan has been done. There's a Game of Thrones one, and, and the group that I play with in Saudi Arabia, he ordered the, the Game of Thrones version because he loved the base game as it was, yeah. but he wanted to try the Game of Thrones version. Uh, the, the other thing I'll point out, too, is it also has a kids-specific version that is yes. even simpler. Which We I, have that one, and I'm my youngest sure kids... I'm not sure we're able to pull off a, you know, a game like that and make it simpler, but in my opinion, this game is ten times that of any game you would find at your big box, and so, again, like I said, I, I feel that game deserves so much credit for all the other games that we have on our shelf, because it was that it was that game that, you know, it started out as, like, only the really, you know, elitist nerds knew about, and it's conquered mainstream. Big time. I think... Uh, something that seems to be forgotten over time, and, and well, there's a possibility that my memory's failing me here, but we're talking 95, 96 here. That was a very unpopular time for board games in pop culture. But we seem to forget this now. Like pop Board games is mainstream and has been now for quite a while. Uh, you can probably think if you think... I actually think Big Bang Theory probably deserves a little bit of credit for that. Um, uh, a lot of credit, so I'm going to interject. So 95 to 96, I was a teenager. I was in high school. Um, we all were. No, I mean, like, I was graduating. Class. Oh, no. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So um, Magic the Gathering, arguably one of the biggest things out there, mm. uh, caused so many, you know, when I say so many, there was eight of us to be social pariah. So, you know, yep. th that's that, that was, you know, what was happening then. 
So for a game like that to win those awards like that back then and to do what it's done. Merge to where it is now. So, yeah. I mean, fans and, of board and, games today talk about how frustrated they get when they mention they like board games and somebody turns around and goes, oh, you mean my, like Monopoly? Like 1996, yeah. Monopoly and Sorry, et cetera, were literally some of the only things that you knew about. That's where this comes from. I mean, yeah. it might be a trope now, but it, it was a reality back then. I'm not saying the yeah. Saddle of the Catan is the reason that the industry is big. I'm just trying to acknowledge about, realistically, it, it's a game that's stood the test of time. But when it came out, it's done, it, it's done this at a time where it wasn't really that big, the industry. Certainly not yeah. what it is now. And have you played any of the expansions, George or Bruce? Because they have no. some great expansions out there. I, I have not. This is one. This is one of those games where I don't want to do too much. It, it might. It is a perfect game as it is in that box. The only one that I have wanted is the five to six player expansion one, just because at, sometimes that would be very useful. At the most, yeah. Like I'm, I'm not going to disagree with that. But yeah. you know, if you got four people, you pull that game out, and it, it is perfect. It's it's a good hour of your evening. It's not like Monopoly where someone flips the board and gets irritated. No, it, you know it's. Fun. Yeah. Um, number number seven for me was Bot War. This is another one that kind of changed its place on the list quite a few times. Um, it was higher at some points. It was actually lower at some points as well. Um, Bot War for me, I, I, we were had a conversation a couple of years ago now where it's like, we don't understand why, like there's so many things from the 80s that would just be so easy to turn into a board game or a tabletop game. And I didn't know that this existed at the time. Uh, but then I came across Bot War a few weeks later, completely by accident. And it was designed by an Australian. And we had him on the show. And uh, Bot War for me is, it, it's a game that is actually very, very simple to play. But there's there's a lot there to master as well. It's not that hard to teach. Not I'm not somebody that, I don't go out looking for games that are easy to teach. Um, but if it's something that you can get somebody into very easily, it works. I mean... Big Stompy Robots is not necessarily something everybody's into, but a lot of people likes Transformers. Um, G.I. Joe slash Cobra is... Masters of the Universe. Masters of the... Yeah, all, all of these sort of things is what inspired this. Um, I really enjoy Bot War. Uh, it is a lot of fun. Um, there's a couple of things that I think could be tweaked, um, but th this is genuinely top 10 material for me um, and very easily could have been higher. Um, my top 10 is... My top really? 10 from this point on gets very competitive. <laughs> I think uh, it's competitive for all of us. Yeah. Hey, uh, number six here uh, for Michelle, Werewolves of Lockerdam. Yeah, I'm not familiar with this. Yeah. Um, so I love what he put about this, and it, it, it makes me melt a little bit. Played this with a group of friends during our college years, and it's how he met his wife. Yeah. And if you click the Wikipedia link, players between 8 and 47. Yeah. If it's the game that I'm thinking of. I don't of, know if I know 47 people I want to be in the same room with. <laughs> <laughs> Um, to me, that's that just sounds like a great game of, you know, you got a group of 30 people, here's a game you can all play at the same time. It kind I of sounds like it's Werewolf, but with a little bit more depth to it, because yeah. it's, cl it's clearly a party game. I, I, I don't know this, but it, it's, it, because One Night Werewolf and Ultimate Werewolf, they are not new things, they are, they are playing on a game that already existed. I have a feeling that this might kind of be the same sort of thing. I think it is, based on the Wikipedia link. Yeah. Because uh, the Wikipedia link says Well Worlds of Miller's Hollow, and I think that was the original title. So That's, that's what I was thinking, yeah. <clears throat> so it may be a, a subset version, little because 
you know how game companies sometimes do a little twists on their own games and stuff like that. So yeah, it may be something either similar. that or it's like you say the original version that the name has kind of been lost over time for. Because let's be honest, games like this kind of you play a version that you can remember sometimes. Yeah. Exactly. So, Socks, you're number six. Uh, back to Star Wars. It's Armada, uh, originally published by Fantasy Flight Games, and now AMG. Um, yes, I know we we talked about this about a year ago when the announcement came out that they didn't have any plans for Armada releases over the next year. But I still love this game. Um, just the capital. I, I started in the Star Wars realm with X-Wing. When Armada came out, I loved this a lot better. Yeah, I liked X-Wing because of the dogfight ability, but I loved this one just because I'm now flying an interdictor or a uh, Star well, Destroyer or take your capital ship pick and yeah. yeah, I've got a few squads of X-Wings and I'm flying as as the captain and the crew of this capital ship. So I wonder, I, I, is this due I've for a new out. edition? What's that? Is this due for a new edition? It, I agree. It's, it's due for, it's kind of gone through a 1.5 was revamp with when the Clone Wars factions came out, but it could it could go in for a full. I was just I, that thought just came to me now, despite us having had that conversation three or four times. That hey, maybe that's actually why there hasn't been any releases. That sort of thing takes time. I agree because when when the Clone Wars faction came out, they changed. A, they had a lot of bit of changes with the card play aspect of of how the cards work with the game and some of the ships. And so I think you're right. I think they're trying to iron that out and make that level because the new gameplay for the cards some of them only worked for the clone factions um and so they may be trying to do that with the other empire and rebel cards is make that across the board as a clean sweep and so you might be right mm. uh, they're just That's trying to level up. yeah what were you gonna say george I, I, when i when i got back into to gaming you know god close to 10 years ago now um that was that was the thing you know it's like i played a game and actually it was like wow this is a cool game they've done a lot for games since you know the last time I was really into game, and then a couple years later they came out with Armada. And I'm like, okay, this this is probably cooler because yeah, sure, yeah. like your big ship was like Slave One and Millennium Falcon, right? Those were the big ships for, X, and everything yeah. else was close to the same scale, close to the same size, and worked pretty good. And then Armada came out, and it's just like you straight up had Star Destroyer, you had Capital Class Mon Calamari, you know, yeah. you had the you know Carilli, you know. I was just like, this is this is better because they came out with that one Karelian Corvette for uh, X-Wing and it just and it seems was, ludicrus. Yeah. Yeah. 12, like, 16 inches long. With something that big on a four foot by four foot surface. Not very well. To be fair, the Star Trek one did the same thing with the board cube, which is even bigger. Yeah. yeah well, true. The, the Star Trek game, I, uh, despite being the same game, I thought it was a, a an inferior Star Wars. I haven't, I haven't played it, but yeah. But, but that's yeah. All- I know a lot more about Star Trek, yeah. and I did not like how that worked, though. Yeah. And, and some people who play Armada, or the, and those that don't, are like, okay, the Carillion Corvette is this long, and the Imperial Star is about this long, and they're like, okay, that's not to scale. I'm like, yes, it's not to scale. But if you were to put things to scale in Armada, you would have the same issues that you would have with that CR-90 model that we you have in X-Wing. Yeah. It would just be unplayable. Yeah. And so they had to have a sliding scale in the game to make it work. And my Super Star Destroyer is, you wouldn't be able to put it on the board. You'd, ha- you'd have the front nose piece of it if you wanted it on the board yeah. because of how big it is in reality to a, yeah. an actual Star Destroyer. So uh, yeah, that's my number, my, to- my number six. My number six. Yep. Oh, yeah, my number six. Uh, I think it's probably our first dead game, as in not being made anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, Warhammer Fantasy. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. Yep. So, and and here's why it still holds a special place in my heart. It was rank and file. That's how stuff was done back then. That's how you had your footmen and your little sacrificial peons. And everyone is in rank and file. And everyone moved as a big unit and you clashed head on. 
And then, it, okay, that's how things were done. And then, okay, these are dwarves, these are elves, these are demons of chaos, and stuff like that was, you know, historical battles, but with fantasy creatures. And I think, I think that it's on my list, I'm going to talk about later, but there, there's something about fantasy where it, it was just far superior to 40k, in my opinion, how you played it. And I think it was just the whole concept of it added some realism, but yet it was a, a make-believe game mm. that I think made it good. Um... And the lore definitely helps with with fantasy as well. Uh, like this is coming from somebody that never played fantasy at all, but yeah. the lore for fantasy is amazing. Um, number six for me is Sentinels of the Multiverse. So this is the first board game for me that's coming up. Although this is a card game, really. Sentinels of the Multiverse is superhero card game essentially, uh, but it's in a custom universe. We have covered it once on the show when they were doing a Kickstarter for a new edition uh, that I did not back. And now I'm kind of regretting that because I kind of want it, but that's okay. Um, Sentinels of the Multiverse is another game where it's it's really easy to play. Each superhero have their own deck that works in a, its own specific way. Every hero has their own strategy. It's a cooperative game where you're fighting against a villain. Um, there is a version where you get to play as a villain as well. Like the, There was expansions for this out to Wazoo. At one point, um, this was a very, very successful game. The first game that I really came across at PAX that I had to own. Uh, I'd already spent all of my money at this point, and then I came across this, and I was like, "No, no, I need to own this." Um, and I, I ended up buying this from America uh, because at the time I didn't know I could get it in the country, and then I found it in the country just after I paid a stupid amount for post. Um, Sentinels of the Multiverse at one point was no, it probably still is. It's it's my favorite board game or card game. But it's a board game, but it uses cards instead of me. So that's that's mine. Very big fan. I kind of want to get it out and play another game of it. It's been a little while. Five. Now, Ben doesn't have as much commentary on his stuff. Uh, ben, for those that don't know, is a colleague that we've come across recently that's been working with me on Bushido. Um, and his number five is 40K. So Ben hasn't had a lot of games that he's played because also, he was... Same with Michelle. It's also Michelle's number five. Yep, true. Actually, yeah, that's a good point. Um, ben used to work for Games Workshop there for quite a while. So a lot of... His experience was only forty was only Games Workshop stuff at one point, um, and that's obviously changed over time as he's left. Like most staff members for Games Workshop, they eventually start looking elsewhere and going, "How did I stay here for so long?" <laughs> yeah, um, and like forty k is a staple of the industry for a reason. Um, but yeah, so that, that's his number five, and yeah, it's shelled. Michelle had us as well. Uh, for Michelle, it's what got him into wargaming. Like, this is a fairly common story at this point. Uh, it's a story that myself, George, both share as well. Not Socks, because Socks is one of those weird people. Not really. Yep, I know. <laughs> uh, it's what got him into, into wargaming. He still loves the universe and some of the book series. I do like that it's some of the book series. It's not all of it is good. Um... He's currently building a Necron army because 40k is nearly the only thing people play there. And that's a. I am going to argue that that is a problem in the industry in quite a few places. Um, because some people only play the game that they know because they are not willing to look at anything else, uh, which is not necessarily a good reason not to look at other things. I, there's nothing wrong with having a favourite game, nothing at all. And I'm not hating on people for loving 40K. But when you want to play other things and nobody else does, it does get a bit of a problem. Absolutely. Uh, George? Uh, my number five is Game of Thrones by Fantasy Flight. And the, the the best comparison is It's Risk by Fantasy Flight Games with Game of Thrones brand, mm -hmm. with the exception of 
it is for two to six players. And then there's an expansion to add two more races. You can play with eight people. The game lasts 10 turns and an average game three hours. That's not bad. That no. is a... You get your buddies over, you set the game, you go through a couple cases, way too many Cheetos and Doritos, <laughs> uh, and, and just... But so, um, and this is what I was talking about earlier, Socks, of I, I was like, ooh, yeah, that was a great game. I should pick that up, because I'd never had a cop. The, yeah. the game store had the cop. And um, when I was doing that, I also found it had a Neoprima game map that has the expansion map as one map, and I was just like, ooh, yeah. So uh, the map's on its way, and I'll be picking up the, uh, the short one awesome. as well, because... It is a good game. I've played it once long, a few, probably when Game of Thrones 10 years. <laughs> Major Sox, so. I believe you've got something completely left to center for your number five. Yeah, uh, Legion? <laughs> I, I, mean, <laughs> I say Star Wars. Okay, Star Wars, Legion? Yeah. Sorry, George. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so I showed off some of my pieces in the episode last night, and you guys have been knowing I've been playing this since it came out uh, just about four years ago. I saw this at Gen Con 17 that year. Gen Con, that's where I saw it because that's where it was being uh, demoed and, and shown off for the first time. And I was just like, this is cool. I can be Darth Vader. I can be the Emperor, squad of Stormtroopers, whatever I want. And now we've got the clones. Soon we'll have Ewoks next year, according to AMG. So Bruce is waiting for Gungans. So we'll oh, see. I will, I will probably buy at least one box of those Ewoks just to paint them. Just to paint them? Yeah. So, it, yeah, I love it. Uh, just played in a tournament last week out of the so folks that we had there i placed eighth and kravik who's a very big popular youtuber he's down in this area and he came out and played so i didn't play against him but it was still fun to to meet him he's huge in that in uh the legion armada grouping um so but yeah i, I just love this game uh playability is really fun um yeah th there are some tweaks as always when new units come out that they have to okay yeah that's that's, that's normal. normal it's normal uh but i'm excited for the the new sentinel mercenary pack that's coming out here in a couple months see what that's going to change the game so absolutely love this one uh bruce oh yeah i haven't talked about mine yet have i no you haven't <laughs> i was getting ready for the next number <laughs> <laughs> my number five is what brought us all together and i have it lower on the list than everybody else which is interesting uh because this is something that ultimately we're all going to talk about it's just a matter of where and i don't think that should be a surprise for any of like where we're, every episode we're covering a new part of the game a new we're re-looking at the stats. Drop Fleet Commander is what brought us all together. It's what created the Hot LZ, uh, well, as it became known. Um, and it's a game that... Back together. What was that, sorry? And then brought us back together, in a sense. We wanted to do this yeah. after the Hot LZ yep. kind of faded away. Anyways. Well, we reached, we reached a point where there wasn't really... Like, there wasn't really a lot left to cover on Hot LZ. So we... And George and I were both kind of on the foot of kind of hate not being allowed to talk about other things. Yeah. That's where this came from. Uh, but Drop Fleet Commander at one point probably could have been at the top. The fact that I haven't been able to play this for probably two and a half years or a little bit longer at this point has cost the game a few places. Um, this is one of the only games that probably didn't change its spot much. Um, I kind of put it there as a placeholder and worked around it and kept on thinking, wait, should this be higher? And I just... Because I haven't played this for so long now. I, I was trying to play this very, very regularly when I was on Shift, but obviously Shift would made playing anything very hard. Um, and definitely I'm going to start pushing this again. Like we had a group of about 10 to 15 of us that were trying to get together regularly. Uh, but then what happened happened, and it kind of it cost a few games 
its player bases. Um, Drop Fleet Commander is one that I do feel that kind of lost a player base because of that, because how can you support a game that you can't play? Um, so there's definitely some pushing that needs to be done in Australia at this stage. Um, and it's it's going to happen because there is a player base out there that loves this game and just want an excuse to play it again. Um, but I need to actually start pushing. Um, I love Drop Fleet Commander. It's got a lot of depth. Um, I, I can't say it's the easiest game to pick up with. I mean, it's not hard, but th- there, is some f- there is some things that are a little bit different that take you a little few minutes to get your head around. I, I would say with the exception of the ground combat portion of it, I would say Drop Fleet is probably the easiest tabletop. Uh, the ground combat is definitely the bit that needs to be, that, that needs to be tweaked when they do the second edition. Well, like, the, very badly. You can, go, you can go as Dave back when um you know Kickstarter was shipping, yeah. And people start playing this. You can go back to then, and he'll say like, "Yeah, the ground combat needs work. Yeah, the ground combat has needed work day, since day one. It worked, but that is what takes so the game so long to play. And, the ground and, combat yeah. kind of stops the game dead in its tracks for a few minutes, mm-hmm. and then you have to yeah. start again. Um, right. and that that is a problem. But it's um, one of the most important aspects of the game because that's how you're pretty much ultimately going to win the game. Unfortunately, right. yeah. yeah. So, as yeah. we all know, that I've played the game. So, four. Uh, Ben's got Lord of the Rings. So, I'm assuming this is the game's workshop Lord of the. Rings. Yes. Now, it's yeah. it's worth noting that Lord of the Rings, Battles for Middle Earth, uh, Middle Earth Fantasy Battle. There's several different versions of this game that are all the same. The rule set has always been the same. It's not changed. It just gets refreshed. So, Middle Earth Fantasy Battle. Something. Well, but yeah, that that is the game that he's talking about. Yeah. This is again coming from the days where he used to work at a Games Workshop store. So, and at that yeah. stage, it was the Lord of the Rings game because that's what was really big. Just like it changed to the Hobbit at one point, and now it's just Middle Earth fantasy battles or whatever. Yeah. And 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 I, and I said this uh, when we recorded last night. You know, that's the one thing I will give Games Workshop so much credit on is their their purity to the the intellectual property of Tolkien and this game. And this game I, has I, an extremely dedicated fan base. Like yeah, I, very, for the people very. Who play it, yeah, they are very into. So yeah, absolutely. George number four. Um, my number four. Um, if any of you have heard of this game, I would be shocked. The Dresden Files cooperative card game by Evil Hat Productions. I'm not. Dresden I'm... Files rings a bell, but I, I don't know what it is. So the Dresden Files is a uh, long, ongoing book series by an author called Jim Butch. It had a TV show that was uh, produced by Nicolas Cage. Um, it's got some comic books. Um, but essentially, you get a deck that is one of the main characters, Dresden, Karen Murphy, his dog mouse even, and you try to solve the scenarios that are the books that Jim Butcher has written. Um, That's cool. It is a fun little game. Uh, I to, to sit down and explain it would would be way more complicated than just like, check it out, here's the game, you do this. It's it's one of those games where if you watch it get played, you're like, oh, this is so easy. Um, I assume this is multiplayer. Uh, you can play it by yourself. Um, it does have that aspect. Uh, you can play it all the way up to, I think, five players. Um, That's all right. I highly, re- I highly recommend playing it with as many people as you possibly can. It's it's one of those things where, you know, you know like you have your cards, so you can't just say... I have this card. You have to, like, I could do something next turn for this, but I need this taken care of, or I need this, or, you know, it's a great, you know, um, and the books are like a very um, detective noir, like, you know, fourth person narration from the main character. So, uh, this company has done a great job translating this intellectual property into a fun cooperative, and I've become a big fan of those. Uh, game that you know you just sit down for a couple hours and play with your friends. 
Yeah. Also, it it's uh pretty reasonably cheap. I think I have about everything for the game for a grand total of seven. That's all right. That's not bad at all. So, Especially for that and, sort of thing. Because normally yeah. having to buy expansions is how they get you. Uh, the expansions are 10 bucks. Yeah, no, that's, that's good. Uh, yeah, Michelle. Yeah. Michelle's top... Uh, Michelle's number four is Aeronautica Imperialis. So he loves aircraft. Version 1 had a cool campaign system in it as well. Didn't really pick up where he, where he is. But Michelle is still playing this to this day. Um, like... M- Michelle really enjoys this. Um, he has, like, he's unboxed a couple of things for us back in the day for it. Um, Aeronauta Imperialis is a game that kind of, I don't know, I, I kind of expected it to do better than it has. To me, it's like the Adeptus Tit- Titanicus game. You know, you get the cool, like, miniatures on a small scale mm. that normally you would not have yep. unless you have large amounts of disposal income to get the actual miniatures for war. Because I think, uh, like, the, the Tau Manta that you can play in this game. Yeah. That's like $700 model for yeah. Forge. All the other fighters, those are 150 plus. You know, the, to have the actual models at the scale for Warhammer is very financially restricted. Yeah. This game, you know, it, it's like, you know, it's not the same scale. It's like the Adeptus Titanicus. Not everyone can afford a Warlord Mars pattern Titan that's $2,000. But you can have five of them in the, the Adeptus Titanic or a couple hundred. Yeah. Yeah, no, look, I'm, I'm not entirely surprised to see this in Michelle's list because I know that he really enjoyed oh, no. it. No, um, he's, he's really into his flying thing. Yeah. Uh, Socks. So I'm going to go back to when this game originally started, back in the early 70s. Uh, Axis Now is, my number four is Axis Now is 1942nd edition, uh, both the Europe and the Pacific, because there is a Europe box as well as a Pacific box. Uh, this is produced by Wizard of the Coast slash Hasbro right now. But this was a game that my dad played in college back in the 70s, and he had a game on the shelf he had his copy from his college days on the shelf when i was growing up and so this is probably the first strategic board game that i got into and have since loved it to the sense that um the group that i played with uh back in my college days when i was going through college we would go set up at the store on like labor day weekend so around the first weekend of of september for us set up on a saturday play all day for 10 hours Day to go spend some time with family and come back Monday, which was a holiday, and spend the, the rest of the day trying to finish the game. That's how <laughs> yeah. long this game can be played because it's it's World War II, and so each player has their own factions based on World War II settings, and you have it's risk on steroids. I will just put it that way because yeah. you have naval combat, you have ground combat, and you have air combat all in this game. I absolutely love it. So the the ironic thing about Axis and Allies and Risk is generally speaking you tend to be an Axis and Allies person or a Risk person. There's very few people that tend to be both. I've never played Axis and Allies, but I really would like to. Uh, but I'm never playing a fifteen to twenty hour game. It's just not gonna happen. That's when you combine Europe and Pacific together because the board is literally six feet by four feet. Yeah. That's how big the board is when you combine it. If you were to put Europe down, you could finish Europe in, in a in three or four hours. But if when you combine it and you have players like I had, where each turn, by the time I played my next turn, an hour had passed away because you were waiting. That's how well. That's how logically and strategic strategizing we had to do because we'd have our own little allied conferences. Okay, all of all of us allied players board, see what we got to do over this next turn to stop the Axis players, and then vice versa, the Axis players would do their own little conference talk. And so by the time that all revolved, an hour had passed. But yeah. you, you could play one of these games in the Europe or the Pacific in a, in a few hours, kind of like uh, the Games of Throne game. It would be a three- or four-hour game. So Yeah, no, that makes sense. So, so. And, 
and again, I you know this is one of those games too where the the hobby slash you know culture that we have as as gaming owes so much to this game as well. Yeah, you know, this is what you know. I mean, I don't. This think is probably one of the first true miniatures because of of the miniatures that they had as the board game back in the seventies. Little carriers and fighters and and infantry and whatnot, just like you were saying, George. Well, and, and and again, it's 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 one of those games where you know, like even still, it's it's not like what you would consider the family type game. It's the you know the the group of you know guys, history nerds. They did they ditch mm-hmm. their families for seven hours and they go hang out and do this for you know the day. And that was you know? the that was what board games were at one point. Yeah. Yeah, well, especially those ones back there in the 70s where you had the little chip systems, where you had yeah. all the notepads and scribbles and, all right, I'm moving this tank company over to this part of the Libya map and so yeah. on. My dad actually had a couple of those growing up from what I remember. He actually had a Star Trek one. I would even argue that because of um, Axis and Allies, we have video games like Civil Yep, yep, I would agree with that. Bruce, uh, what's your number four? My number four is another game that changed places quite a few times. It started at number. It started at number six, and then it was. It was actually number two at one point, and it came down, and like it's gone up and down. You forgot your number two, actually. Shush, shush you. <laughs> <laughs> Spoiler. <laughs> um, no, he is right. I did forget about my number two. Uh, it was on the list, and then I was like, "Wait, I haven't got this on the list, and this should be right anyway." Don't Look Back is my number four. And this, I was very, very tempted to take this all the way to the top at one point. Uh, I just couldn't quite justify it. Um, To me, this this is, Don't Look Back for me still reads as a tabletop game, but you could argue that it's a board game. Neither answer is really wrong or right here. I mean, it's kind of a little bit of both anyway uh, in the way that it plays. For those that are not aware... Sorry, yeah. I was gonna, I was gonna say, I a thousand percent agree with that. It's a board game. That's a tabletop miniature. Yeah. Um, for those that are not aware, don't look back. You are playing as a series of survivors in a horror game. You are trying to survive the tropes of a horror movie. So either you will fall in love with this because you love horror, or you will fall in love with this because making jokes at the expense of horror movies is really easy and a lot of fun. It, it works both ways. It's so much fun. It's cooperative. Uh, I do still feel that you could easily slide in a betrayal aspect into this and have it work really well. Uh, I'm kind of waiting for that to happen in an expansion at some point. Um, It's kind of one of those things where I think we all know it's going to happen at some point, but they're going to keep on holding it off because they're going to have to do it right. Because if they don't do it right, it could kind of ruin it, I suppose. Um, Because let's be honest, it's already hard enough to survive against the killer as it is, let alone when one one of the people on the team may not be able to be trusted. But... Don't Look Back works on so many levels, and it's like usually it's kind of set up where it's like it's around a forest or it's around a campfire and stuff. But you could very easily throw this to be in the middle of a spaceship and you're trying to survive against an alien. Like all you need to do is change the terrain. Um, this it's re- it works really well. It's really balanced. I definitely want to get another play of this on the channel at some point. Um, now that things are starting to actually be open again. I'm actually going to be able to get this out at some clubs and actually play it. I know I've got some, there's a local gaming group that I'd actually express some interest in this too. And they were interested in playing, but I love Don't Look Back. It's, it's one of the favorite, my, one of the, one of my favorite things that I've discovered in the last 12 months. Um, another thing that I came across randomly and just fell in love with. Also your uh, talk of, you know, the betrayal aspect. 
uh, all they need to do is come up with an expansion for uh, Scream. Yeah. And, and there you go, because that would be the, the perfect one, because that's how the movie... Yeah, true. You guys could easily get a, a video or, or a game on the channel, because... You both have it, and you could pull out Mel's miniature as your... <laughs> Mel, the serial killer. Yeah. Yes, the, the serial hobbyist. All, all George would need to do is set up cameras around the table so that I could yeah. look down. That's all he'd need to do. Three. Let's start with Ben. Underworlds. Underworlds. So Warhammer Underworlds. This is the most recent of the G-Dub games on his list. And it's a smaller game. And I personally, after having got to know Ben over the last month or so... It doesn't really surprise me that a, a smaller game from Games Workshop is higher on his list um, because like, you need five or six minis for this and that's all you need. It, it is simple, but it's easy to teach, hard to master again. And I, I kind of like a few of those as well. I have actually finally played this after going to have played it for a long time. It is a lot of fun. I do enjoy it. Um, the only negative thing I would say about this is I kind of feel like they have too many releases for it, personally. That's just my feel on it, but it's Games Workshop. I don't think either of you have played it. Well, I know Sox hasn't played it, but I don't think you've played it, have you, George? I've, with the exception of Blood Bowl, I have steered pretty clear of the Games Workshop board. Yeah. Um, I, I, I just, I, it's like we went to, a, I went to a food truck last night for uh, for dinner. All they make is cheesesteak. You go in there, you order cheesesteak. They do mm -hmm. one thing and they do it well. Yeah. And I think a company that focuses on doing one thing, doing it well, I think we'll do better and have more success than, hey, we, we're doing a fantasy war game and we're doing a future war game and then we're going to do eight board games. And yeah. Pick I get where you're coming from. Do your war games, do your board Don't do both. Yeah. TT Combat, they do war games. They don't do board you know. I think, I think you're absolutely right because I think Fantasy Flight had the same issues and which is probably why they, one of the primary reasons why they moved all that stuff under AMG is because they are primarily a distraction. A, they were pri they are primarily a board game company. Mm -hmm. I mean, my yeah. top one is a board game that they produced, and I love it. And we'll discuss that later. But you're absolutely right. I think they got too in, and I, and it started to get out of hand for them. So they had to refocus as Asmodee's parent company. Yeah, had to refocus them. Yeah. So. Um, the only thing I probably would say about Underworlds, Underworlds is a war game that's the size of a board game. So it's what a lot of companies have tried to do, but Games Workshop seem to have pulled it off. I'm not, I'm not saying it's a perfect game, but they, they, have a, they have achieved what a lot of people have tried to achieve. But let's move on to number three. I'll talk about this one since Michelle and I have the same number three. Yeah. Okay, yeah, go for it. So it's Drop Zone Commander. Uh, so Michelle was looking for different than 40k alternate activations different scale a relaxed tournament setting um which i can say i haven't played in the, i don't know what tournament for 40k is but for a drop zone tournament it was pretty relaxed for the one that i played in uh and hopefully we'll see more tournaments like that uh with tt combat but as we know covid kind of crashed that whole thing right after hawk and td combat merged um i have it as my number three because i agree with michelle i love the aspect of having a run in moving units around on the board with drop ships moving infantry into buildings grabbing the objectives and trying to ex extract them off the board that kind of stuff but the lore that dave has written and we know this drop fleets lore my gosh that that lore sucked me in real quick just reading yeah. the the few little entry pages of his novel that he has in every single rule book so. correct me if i'm wrong but is this the game that brought you across from historical gaming? Uh, I want to say it, uh, most likely, yes. Yeah, I had a feeling I wanna, that it was, but I wasn't sure. I, I want to say, with the exception of the Star Wars stuff, every Yeah, I played X-Wing early, early on, and so... Oh, yeah, true, yeah. But, but other than 
the true hardcore miniatures. I mean, X-Wing is, it can be hardcore, but you're playing with four or five miniatures at best. Yeah. A full on, like, like we have with drop zone, 40K, whatnot, pick your, pick your poison. Yeah. Drop zone was probably the first one that brought me into the sci-fi realm outside of historical. Yeah. Well, you know, the thing is, you know, you know, you're a big fan of Star Wars. You know, that's a whole other intellectual property. You can be a huge fan of Star Wars and never play these. Yeah. You know, to sit down and play something like Drop Zone, that's a very deliberate, specific choice. Yeah. No, I agree. And I, I love it. I love my PH Army. I mean, I, I started out playing Shaltari just because the guy that I started playing with in England, he, he loved the aspect and the looking of PHR. So I was like, what the heck? I'll try something different. And just the way they were able to do their shenanigans, the shenanigans. Okay, oh. I've got this tra- transport gate and I can send my guys halfway across the board in one turn through my other teleportation gate. I was just like, this is awesome. So, yeah. but now we can all do it. We can all share our dropships in version two, which I think needed to happen with the other faction because you couldn't move your units across the board easy as easily as a Shaltari could. So I think that was a good, good change for version two for I, sure. So I remember the second game of drop zone I was playing. I, I, you know, I'd sat there, I read through the rules and I'm just like, there's nothing saying I can't do this. So I legitimately was like, you know, I've got all these guys here, you know, guy I'm playing with. He's like, okay. I'm like, all right, I'm going to take these guys. I'm going to move them over here through this, the gate system. And he's like, you can do that. And he grabs his rule book. He's like, holy crap. Oh, crap. <laughs> so yeah. Bruce, stop changing the order. Bruce, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> you wasn't, you wasn't supposed to notice that. <laughs> George, do you want to talk about your number three? Because it's uh, kind of along the same lines, sort of. Uh, my, my, my number three is Drop Fleet Commander. Um, I, I played Drop Zone. I, I thought it was kind of cool. There was some mechaniciness that I didn't like for a ground-based game, and that was the, the battle group activation. They, they were David made the game to where it's just like, it wasn't like my turn, your turn. It was activation, activation. And to me, it just felt a little like, but I want to do this now, but I can't. And so for me, Drop Fleet, it made a lot more sense and it was a lot more fluid because bait, not ground. I don't know why. Um, and well, not, just, not just, well, with Drop Fleet, you kind of locked yourself into how you played your, your trading cards, whereas Drop Fleet, Drop Zone, you could have a little more fluidity. So I can kind of see where you're coming from too. Yeah. Uh, the other thing um, that I just absolutely, and I'm going to, uh, I'm going to echo someone else, uh, later on i love the way some of the stuff for the game looks the i play shaltari i think those are some really cool very alien ships Mm. but those phr ships with those big and and i've said this before the big sweeping hull yeah if you put the right kind of paint on it those ships just look sexy um the the ucm it's so halo and so alien and so like you name the sci-fi intellectual property and you can see an influence in those UCM ships. It's not one specific one. It's all sorts of them. And then the Scourge, I mean, that's probably my least favorite looking faction that still has some flipping amazing ships. The battleship, you know, with its segment where you can have it waved and stuff like that. Yeah. That's crazy. There's, with the exception of like different guns, you know, different build outs and stuff like that. You know, you could have three different people have the exact same ship, but it's a different pose. Yeah. Because of how, you know, it was designed. Yeah. I think it was just great. So. The ironic thing uh, with the Scourge, because the Scourge is what I play, obviously. Um, but when the Kickstarter first launched, my initial reaction was, I'm going UCM because I don't like the look of the Scourge. And by the time the game arrived, not only had that opinion changed, but it changed severely. Like yeah. I, when I first looked at it, I really didn't like the look of the Scourge. I didn't get it. Um but the longer I looked at it, the more I fell in love with it to the point where, like, 
the Scourge is the top of my list as far as looks is concerned in the Drop Fleet universe now. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a very different, very alien-looking thing. They're kind of like they're half machine, they're half living. They're kind of it's really weird, but that's what I love about it. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there's definitely some things that are better than others, but that's you know miniature gaming for you. Um, and not a knock at the at TT Combat or Hawk. Like it's just like not everything can look the best. Yeah. Um, because yeah, if everything sure. looks the best, nothing does. Quite frankly. Um, well, I mean, I, yeah. I was gonna say like the, the 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 UCM battleships. You know, back when you know everyone hated the Diamond. I thought those UCM ones were some of the best looking. You know battleships in the game because they made sense what do you mean everybody still hates the diamond it's a horrible ship that everybody should burn and crush (laughs) no everyone hates the diamond because it goes pew and your ship goes goes exactly exactly (laughs) it is a nice looking ship though um i I think it's one of the worst looking of the battleship you reckon oh yeah okay i don't i actually don't mind it i actually it's not the best looking ship i actually quite like how it looks though it fits the aesthetic of the army oh well it fits the aesthetic of the army but i mean you know you know how we always talk about like which one looks the best? Which one do we think is the best? You know, I don't think it looks the best. That's fine. Yeah. The gun on it, you know, makes it the best, though. <laughs> yeah, that's absolute truth. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Moving forward. Are um, you sure, Bruce? You're not going to change anything last minute again? Yeah. I'm just trying to second. Have we actually said what Michelle's was? I don't think we have. Yeah. It was Drop Zone. Or, yeah. Okay. Drop oh, yeah. yeah sorry. Because you yeah, shared it. Yes. I forgot that you had talked about it, you talked about it because you yeah, shared you it. You were switching yours around, that's why. I did that while you were talking. Like I said, you weren't supposed to know. But they're all back in the order that they were before I did it, you'll notice. Yes. Yes. Number three for me is Bushido, and now I can't change it because I've said it out loud. Uh, this top three for me has been very, very hard for a while. No, no, I'd be dead set. The, the top three of this... When I say... Because this episode was my idea, I'm saying it again. Uh, but I, I went into this asking you two if you thought you were capable of it. Because I knew I was going to have trouble. And if all three of us were going to have trouble with this, it was never going to happen. Um, me putting a top 10 together, I thought would take me a lot longer. Because for a long time, I was like, I don't know if I can pick a number one. I always try to avoid picking a number one in tabletop gaming. Because, I don't know, part of me like didn't want to actually make that note. This is my favorite game. Um, to be fair... The one that is number one would have been once in the past as well. Um, I don't reckon that would give anybody hints, though, because all of my top three could be there at the moment. But, yeah, number three is Bushido. Bushido has, like, it's Japanese fantasy, um, which we all know that at this point. But Bushido, the thing I love the most about Bushido, you can't really get until you've started playing it. The way that the combat mechanics work is an actual sword fight feels like an actual sword fight. So George and I are facing off. George has got three dice. I've got four. Um, I'm throwing two into my attacks, two into my defense. But George doesn't know any of this because I'm doing it blind. And from his three three dice, he has to pick which of those is defense and which of those is attack. So it genuinely actually feels like a sword fight in the movies because you're having to try and react and guess to what your opponent's doing. Uh, There's certain abilities that you can have where you can do a special attack, but it will cost you one of your dice. Um, So if I'm picking something and it means that I lose a dice, George now knows that and can kind of try to counteract it with his own dice. But I could be bluffing him. Um, I love Bushido. Uh, Bushido for me is the game that I started buying into two years ago, but I've only started playing recently. Um, but I mean, I'm in the middle of doing a Bushido Tactics series. It should be pretty clear that I like this at this stage. Um, but again, like I, I really want to emphasize the fact that picking my top three was very hard. And when these two earlier 
started having a go at me for changing my order. I wasn't just doing... I was legit trying to do that in the secret uh, because I was legitimately going to change the order of these three at the time. And then I decided, no, okay, I'm going to stick to where it is. Two. Ben's is Infinity. Yes. Now, Ben hasn't played Infinity for a little while now. I do know that because he kind of left that behind uh, in the previous edition. He kind of got... Well, I'm trying to remember conversations I've had with him off camera. So this might be slightly wrong. And Ben, if I'm slightly wrong on the meaning behind this, I do apologize. But from memory, Ben kind of got a little bit burnt out on Infinity because he'd been playing it for so long. And it's not that he doesn't enjoy it. It's just he's taking a break. Um, And his focus is all in on Bushido right now, which shouldn't be surprising any of our listeners at all. Um, But Infinity is one of those games where once you're into it, you're into it. The problem with Infinity is not secret. And, like, most of its player base will tell you that it's a very steep learning curve to get into it. Um, generally speaking, most of the community is there to try to help you get across that. I say most because, unfortunately, the competitive side of gaming does bring out a bad side in some people, and it is elements that you see everywhere. Uh, it definitely comes out in Infinity. It definitely comes out in 40K. Uh, it definitely comes out in Warmer Hordes. There's certain games where that sort of gatekeeper gamer will show up. Infinity is one of them. I mean, that doesn't make the game bad. It's If something is very close and very competitive, it tends to attract that sort of person because it's what they look for in a game. Um, I almost had Infinity on my list, but I removed it because I kind of felt like it was cheating because I've only ever had a demo of, of the game. It's one of the games that I'm really excited about at the moment because I've wanted to play for a long time. Uh, and I own, like two different starter sets, which is why I've been, I've been buying a couple of things recently because one of my goals for this year was to actually finally use some of this stuff. So uh, the Code 1 version of the rules is kind of a help. that That's trying to get people over that hurdle. That They've simplified the game for an introductory type thing, which I think was really important. Um, but I'm kind of glad that they... Because sometimes some games will simplify themselves to try to fix that problem and it'll ruin the game. Um, I think... From the outside looking in, Corvus Belly appears to have done it without ruining what people love about Infinity. And that's really, really hard. Because let's be fair, every time Games Workshop have tried to do this, a huge percentage of the player base has left for a while and then eventually came back. It's very, very hard to do. But yeah, that's my number three, which I think means we're moving to number two. No, nice. sorry. Are we are in number two. We're sorry. talking about Ben's number two. Yeah. Get on. Come on, Bruce. Uh, Michelle's number two is Terraforming Mars. Now, I've seen this game uh, being advertised in a few places, and it's, I think it's, it's pretty really fun concept. Um, what I think is really interesting here for him is he's been playing it uh, in between lockdown. Yeah. So um, I, I, I like the idea of like Earth sucks. Let's go to Mars. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, like I said, I've seen this aver- game advertised. I've never seen it played. I've never played it. Me it looks it. like. A- Fun and interesting game, though. I mean, it does. having play, having played it and actually having it on my shelf, uh, I really do enjoy this game. It's not on my list of uh, in the top ten, but it is a lot of fun because as you're in a, in a sense a corporation trying to build tiles in Terraform Mars, while the other players are trying to do the same thing, but you're trying to warm up the planet all together and so it's habitable and melt the ice caps and stuff like that. But you're doing so in the same way that. I still want to earn more points as my corporation than than you, George. So Which is that a really that's win. a really hard balance to get. Yes, you're all trying to do stuff as a cooperative goal, but I still want to have more points at the end of the game. Yeah. So what, yeah, was it your number two? Dropfleet Commander. Why? Uh, again, part of the lore that, that it has, but then also bringing that ground combat of and taking it a step up above. Yeah. I mean, 
you're now above the planet surface. You're seeing the cities that you've been fighting on in the ground in drop zone and seeing it in orbit and just the different layers of orbit. Um, I also like it too as well. Before I deployed for my year to the desert that everyone says I lived in five-star hotels, seven-star hotels or whatnot, my dad gave me a, ser- a book series called The Lost Fleet by Jack Campbell. And oh my goodness, reading reading those space combats in those in the book series that he he wrote out, I could just see myself playing Drop Fleet Commander because the the space battles written in that book was so well written mm. that I could see UCM and PHR ships or or Scourge or, or whatnot playing out on the on the battle on the table. So it, it's just a, a cool correlation that I have. But I love it in the fact that you can also, if you have enough players, have a game of Drop Fleet and separate games of Drop Zone, and they can affect each other. I've never been able to do that. I'd love to do that. Yeah. But you got to have enough players to do that. I do uh, think that's another one of the parts of the rule set that needs to be tweaked a little in second edition. Because yes. you can get that to work, but it's really, really time-consuming. Well, and the thing is, you need a lot of players and a yes. lot of... Yeah. If you figure uh, one game of drop and just the basic starter first uh, mission and drop will spawn three games of drop. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think the other thing that's important to remember about that is specifically the linked game is I've only ever really seen it done properly once, and that was at Beast of War, or on Tabletop, as they're known now. Um, and that was before the game was released, during the during the previous that Nigel went to. And they literally had somebody running between tables to let them know that their area had just been new and stuff. Like, it was... Or, or that a ship had just been taken down. And then they had to roll to find out which ship it was. And, and I'm enough... The, the rules are actually designed that it leads into the next game, not at the same time. But they actually literally played it at the same time, which was really cool. Um, but very complicated to actually get to work in real life with the simultaneous nature of it. Yeah. And I like the, the, the various factions. I mean, I play PHR primarily... And drop fleet. Yes, it's one of the hardest, if not the hardest, faction to play, just because I have broadsides. You guys have have forward facing guns. I got stupid broadsides. I got to get in between all of your ships. Mm. But I just love it. Yeah, because if again, it was, that if it was easy, it would be broken. Yeah. Also, but, how 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 infuriating would it be to that one game of drop zone where you're playing and someone comes over and is like, "Hey, y'all just got nuked. You're all dead." Yeah. Yeah. Was- <laughs> yeah. But I was winning. Your entire sector's gone. Sorry. You got new. Sorry. <laughs> um, the only other thing I want to say about Drop Fleet Commander, and I'm just double-checking. Yes, this is the last time it's mentioned. Uh, no, it's not. Um, but I'll still mention it now. Uh, at one that point, is. this would have been my number oh, no. one, sure. and it would have been my number one almost without competition at one stage. Um, like, again, it's, not having been able to play this for a while is, is what affected this. No, I agree with that because with the merger of TT Combat, the George knows this. The distribution in the States died. Yeah. Um, yeah, a thousand percent, yeah. Um, uh, I, I know of one or two stores that I can see on the Drop Fleet community that has some good stuff there up in Indiana or Illinois or somewhere. Or, we are now in the same boat, just for the record. The he- yeah. We are no longer getting it easier than you are. We're exactly the same. Yeah, so that's something that I know TT Combat is trying to work on. Um, yes, but it could be worked on a little bit more. I know COVID hasn't helped either with no, the distribution of, of every game in the industry, as we know. And we've talked about that multiple, multiple times. Um, but yes, we as the player base need to be pushing this game. But at the same time, we need stores to help us out in supporting that. Yeah, it's hard to get stores to buy product that they don't it's know if they're games. ever going to sell. But the problem is, so, is that if it's not Games Workshop, a lot of stores won't even look at it to begin with. So I just did a qu- did some quick uh, searching, um, you know, talking about this issue. 
Uh, has a I, I'm sure you've heard of it, Socks. Uh, Bruce, have you heard of Miniature Market? Yes. Okay. They are literally the largest independent, as in they're not owned by one of the, the game. Well, technically not owned by one of the game companies. Uh, so but, they are now. Yeah, they are now. Yeah, they're, they're, they they're, worked. But they do not have on their website any drop at all. Yeah. Or drop zone. They don't have any. So and they used to when, when one of the world's largest online retailers does not have something that that says something about like the issue of of retail you know, i think the big thing with drop fleet in particular is drop fleet needs its second edition and it, i don't know if they're working on it i know that it's coming because they have said that it's coming at some stage but i think that if it's not worked on now it needs to get started quite frankly uh my assumption is that now blood on the water is about to release that this will be the next big thing that they do because i think drop oh. fleet needs it more than drop uh, than rumble slam does yeah um, number two for George. Warhammer Age of Sig. Now, I know people are going to be like, but you already said, you know, fantasy. I think there's going to be a lot of people that surprise that you are willingly admitting that you enjoy both. Yeah, so so fantasy is not Sigmar. Sigmar is not. They are two entirely different. The the core um, lore is very closely related because a lot of the stuff is pulled from the same areas. We are starting to see some of the fantasy fact come back to Sigmar, um, some of the, the core, i.e. chaos, uh, yeah. has always been. Uh, to me, Sigmar has done the best possible merging of 40k and fantasy. Yeah. 40k, I'm not the biggest fan of it because everything can shoot. Holy, like, what's the point of having assault combat if everything shoots guns, right? I mean, that takes, you know, why, ha why have a combat phase if everything... Uh, fantasy... Not everything could shoot, everything could combat. Sigmar has that great balance. They're shooting, there's combat, there's reasons for both aspects of the game. Yep. There's one thing Sigmar does, two things. Two things Sigmar does that 40k has not been able to do and is not done, to my knowledge, because I haven't touched ninth at all. One, you can, at the t start of every turn, you roll off to see who goes first. So you could have bottom of two and top of three. You can go uh, back yes. to that. Yeah. That I think is great. Um, not for you because you suck at rolling dice. But um I thought that was a really cool thing of, you know, you know, through the luck of dice, you could go twice. So, uh yeah. Two and, and despite uh, the opinion of others, I there are some people that are that are screaming very loudly for that to change. And honestly, my opinion is that they cannot change that because if they change that it will ruin the game i think it's the very other, important for age of sigmar that it keeps that flavor it's too important whether you like it or not yeah the other thing about sigmar that i absolutely love is the fact of how little they have had to change the rules yeah because I, I mean a lot of how it works as much as a lot of people poo-pooed on it when it first came out because it had no points and stuff, a lot of the basic that, mechanics haven't changed. Yeah, and that was, you know, when it first came out, I thought it was absolute shite. Because yes, you did, yeah. There was, there was no point value. The first Age of Sigmar box, right? You know, typically these box games, right? Games Workshop has been trying to do a balanced army, both sides, so you can buy a box, play with a friend. Pretty close, right? In Sigmar, you had the same number of units. But it wasn't until when they actually released point value and they realized, holy crap, the Chaos site had a third less point yeah. than the Stormcast with Turtles. That's why the Chaos was never winning, well, because they were outpointed. Yeah. Um, once they realized that, no, we have to add point values back, the game became so good. Um, yeah. With the exception of, you know, a couple of, you know, 
of the newer factions, Calderon Overlords uh, specifically. Everything has been pretty well balanced. Nothing has been too crazy OP. Power uh, creep is still a problem, but it's not as big of a problem as it has been for everything else that they do. No, Age of Sigmar is the most balanced thing they've ever done, and that's no, really saying something. Yeah. Um, I think it's still on its second edition of rules. Third. Oh, it's on its third now? It's on its third now. How long have we had Sigmar? Versus what, we're on, you know, our third, you know, version of 40k rules in, what, five years now? It appears that they're trying to do a bi-annually edition thing at this stage, which I don't necessarily think is a good thing, but I understand why they're doing it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Age of Sigmar for me is something that if I had have played it, I can guarantee you would have been in my top ten. I haven't played this yet, but I already know that it goes in there somewhere. Yeah. Um, because like, there are certain games where you can watch them and you'll just know that it, it works. This is one of those for me. I am one of the few people on the planet, I feel, that actually respected what they were trying to do with the original version of the game. Um, whilst I, I will sit here and obviously I know why it wasn't working. Um, they were, from my perspective at least, trying to emulate Magic the Gathering, but on the tabletop. And it still yeah. is that to some extent, not as much as it was. Uh, and it, it didn't work balance-wise, but I do think that there was an element there that could have worked if they had have been given the chance to fix it. Uh, they kind of got forced down a different direction than what they wanted to go, and ultimately I think it's better for the game. Uh, but I, I do feel that it could have worked the other way if they had been given the chance to do it. I think yeah. Warhammer Underworlds kind of proves it to some extent because Underworlds kind of borrows that aspect of it a little bit, but they pay a little bit more attention to the balance on Underworlds than what they were with this originally. Well, prime example, uh, I have I have a 40k army and I have technically three Sigmar armies if you count my original dwarf. Yeah. So, yeah. Yes. I think that comes down to me then. Yeah, what's your number two? What you forgot? My number two was almost number one a few minutes ago when you guys told me off. Uh, Wild West Exodus. Uh, Wild West Exodus, honestly, I cannot tell you enough about how much I love this game. It just works so well. I mean, yes, D10 actually do treat me a little better than D6s do. Not by much, but there's a few things on this that help counteract that. Um, I have issues with dice because dice aren't always fair. I know that everybody has this idea that dice are fair, but they're really not. And it's been proven scientifically that they're not because there is averages. Like it doesn't come in at one, it's one to six. That's not even close. And if you have well, dice where they're dug out, it's even worse. Yeah. Uh, depending on where the deck... Usually if you have the decorative thing on the one, it ends up being that you roll more ones than everything else because of the weight of the die. Yep. Uh, you are actually better off using printed dice. But in saying that, printed dice are also extremely expensive. Well, they're extremely expensive and they wear out very quickly if you're using them regularly. So that's why we don't use them. So um, if, you, if you want the best odds, Bruce, what you need to do is go drop a crap load of money and get yourself like 30 casino dice. True. Um, Wild West Exodus has a lot of things going for it. It, it is like it's, it's, it's weird world history. It's, it's history that's diverged. So it's very close to what we know, but something has changed it and it makes it all very different. Um, I mean, there's a few things that's gone down that line and it kind of works. You made the, the comment with fantasy earlier that it kind of does that. It's real world history, but with fantasy creations instead. From what I've seen of the game, I would say almost like it's, it's the Wild West. Mm. It's Cowboys versus it's, Aliens, if you've seen that movie. It's at the yeah. same time that the I Victorian agree. steampunk is doing. Yes, yeah, but it's yeah. Wild That's West good. in America. Yeah, uh, and it is happening globally. It's just that this game focuses on the American side of it. It's part of the reason why 
why Lost World Exodus is becoming a thing, because people want to actually see what's happening elsewhere. Um, Wild West Exodus also has this... It does have deck mechanics along with the dice. So there's, there's a set of cards where you draw so many a turn, and each card can do two things. Either when you achieve something, you get points for it, or you can use the other side of it that lets you do something now to help you with something now, but then you won't be able to get the points for it later. And it balances out the game really, really nicely because every time I make that decision, I'm giving up something that could have given me points later. Um, It it adds a depth to the game that I really, really appreciate. Um, The game is very well balanced. In saying that the starter sets are not as balanced as everything else is, uh, because there are some things... There are some games where point values mean less at smaller levels than they do at larger levels, Um, and there's a couple of factions in this where that definitely helps, because your weapons are slightly more effective and it doesn't balance out at the lower levels like it would at the top. But you can definitely... We had a tournament with this where we played specifically with the starter sets and it went very very well prior to covid in our particular area this was growing very rapidly i mean covid has hurt that also the main person that was pushing it kind of moved four hours away so that didn't help um but this is something that is definitely going to be picked back up um there's somebody in the local scene that honestly outside of this game i probably never would have played with him but i did in this game uh, because the game is just that good um so yeah that that's it for me wild west exodus for me has been in my, there was never a question that it was in the top three. Uh, it was just a matter of where it fell. And it has held all three places at some point, including number one, as I said earlier. Um, I have a feeling that some people might be surprised at my number one, but then some people won't be. We'll see. Before we go to number one, we've got something else we're going to touch on. Because, well, two things. Firstly, I reached out to Lewis Clark, who is a friend of the channel and is someone that we've had on the channel. He works for TT Combat. And I asked him a couple of questions, one of which was very cruel. And I knew, honestly, I knew I wasn't going to get an answer for this, but I tried anyway. If we asked you to pick one of your favorites, could you? And his answer was, rather than pick a favorite, which I don't have since they're all my babies. But he can't. Like, a game developer can't do that. It's just something that's going to go wrong. No, he could. He could, but, but he's think, not going to. I think he's trying to be like, I'm not going to do that because he wants, he wants to equally promote all of Yes. I I have already said something off camera to socks, and I might I might actually say it on the thing later. Um, but so rather than pick a favorite, which I don't have since they're all my babies, I can give you a favorite thing for each game. And I actually kind of like this answer. I think this works really well. Uh, Drop zone commander, the rules design. There's a lot of space for creating unique units, uh, and it's all based on rules that suit the game rather than what the lawsuit. Um, Drop Fleet Commander, the miniatures. Fleet has some of the best miniatures on the market, and I think it's pretty clear from this that we all agree with him. Um, I mean, when, when you look at the game that Fleet is, there are so few few games out there like it. Yeah, and some and the of them are trying. And, and the one that everyone knows, that you know, Battlefleet Gothic. I don't think, with, with the exception of a few of them, I don't think any of the Battlefleet Gothic ships can hang with looks wise. Oh, no, not even close. I mean, I know that people have a great nostalgia for Battlefleet Gothic, but there's very few of those ships that I think look anywhere near as good as most people think they do. Yeah. Um, there are some that hold up. Um, I have one last thing I'm going to say about Fleet, but I'm going to say it a little bit later. Uh, Carnivale story. Pretty obvious. I find it the most enga- engaging, ongoing narrative. Plus the chance to work with Gav Thorne is mad. And look, to be fair, I think that's probably a pipe dream for a lot of people to be able to work with somebody of that caliber. Uh, Rumble Slam, the characters. Coming up, new wrestling 
So coming up with new wrestlers is a fully collaborative experience, and I end up learning loads I didn't know about wrestling. I get the impression that Lewis probably hadn't really paid much attention to wrestling until this. I could be wrong. I might be just reading into that. But I get the impression that this is something that made him appreciate wrestling that he probably didn't previously. Well, and, and based off what he said right there, there's no reason why there couldn't be a getting table, you know, wrestling. Well, that's what I was about to say. Coming up with new wrestlers. Come on, Lewis. We're waiting for them. We're never getting our own wrestling team, guys. You need to drop this. <laughs> now watch. He's going to come up with one. But, but there's only three of us. You need five people for a team, so it doesn't work. We got Lewis. Uh, we got Michelle. Or Ben. Yeah, yeah we got yeah, Ben true. and uh, so. Okay, fine. We've got a team. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the other thing I asked was his favorite TT Combat game. And this was something I wasn't sure how comfortable... Not, not that TT Combat would have a go at him over it, but I was more like, I don't know how comfortable he would be actually willingly going there. But no, he did, genuinely did. Um, War well, Gaming. Before you say this, Bruce, I said, you know, hey, we're doing this thing. You should check it out. And after a few episodes, I asked him, you know, asked him for his feedback. He's like, I live, eat, and breathe TT Combat. It is so nice to have a podcast to listen to that talks about other games besides that. So I'm not surprised he answered this because he already said that he was becoming a fan of Game Table because we talked about more than just what he worked on. Um, the, The other important thing probably to mention about that is that if you work in the industry, it's the only way to survive in it, is that you have to completely immerse yourself in what you're doing. Um, because otherwise, all you end up doing is following the crowd, and that doesn't usually end very well. Um, so for Wargaming, he said it's probably Mordheim or Blood Bowl, and while I haven't played much past some demos... Moonstone is great and super unique. Um, I definitely agree with him on that one. Board gaming, because he's actually done one for both. Talisman. Talisman is another game that's very popular. I've never actually played it. I know I need to, but I've never actually played it. Um, no other game is quite as satisfying and frustrating over a six-hour period. He's also a big fan of Carcassonne. That featured on one of our lists. So I, I was quite happy with what I got there. It was good. But there's one last thing we need to go through before we go into our top ones. We have each pitched honourable mentions, but they're slightly different. Rather than just picking what would have been the the game that just missed out, I specifically asked, and I'll be a bit like, there's a reason I asked this question, and it's because I wanted to mention something that I had no right to put on my list otherwise. Um, But I asked for an honourable mention of a game that you wanted to play, that you haven't. Michelle chose a, bu- a billion sons. Uh, and that doesn't surprise me because I know I actually thought Michelle had played this, actually. Uh, his comments were, because it's a different kind of way to play, nothing starts on the board. You pay points as you play the game. I own the rule set, but I haven't managed to get a game in. Um, this is a game that I keep on getting told that I need to look at. Honestly, I still haven't at this stage. Um, I have to admit, I do like the idea of paying as you come on the board and actually being able to kind of, you know, edit your game on the fly to some extent. that That's a little bit unique. I like that. Socks. So mine is Black Powder, Glory, Hallelujah, Hallelujah from Warlord Games. Black Powder is based on the Napoleonic era uh, game, but they created a supplement called Glory, Hallelujah, which does the American Civil War. Yeah. Um, I actually have the rule set. Uh, I've never played the game, but it's just, a time period in our history as America that I am fascinated in because I have relatives that fought in uh, in the war. Was actually in one of the prison camps, one of the most notorious prison camps in the South, Andersonville. If you know about that one, George. Um, so it's just one that I've wanted to try out, uh, as well as as um, it's not on here, but uh, Hell Caesar, which is also about uh, Warlord Games, which is the Roman time period. So 
yeah. the fan lanes, the legionnaires, that kind. Those games just kind of like you said with with fantasy, the the flanking infantry, footmen, cavalry. It's a fairly popular time in history, too, to be fair. Yeah. For a reason. I mean, it, it's literally all war at that point. Yep. I mean, and not yep. just here. I mean, there's so much happening around the world, you know, as far mm. as, you know, conflict. Yeah. Yep. Egypt is constantly a conflict at this point, which is why they joined up with Roman to begin with. Um, George. Uh, Honorable mentioned that I want to play. The reason why I haven't played it, played it is because, well, they're not finished Mate yet. Um, Mythic Games, uh, Hell the Last Saga. Yeah. Uh, th- this game, when I saw it and then I read the description, it ticked so many boxes. Cooperative, love cooperative. Uh, Norse, fan of Norse stuff. Um, horror. Let's be honest. Who doesn't like a good scare every now, right? Yeah. Um, narrative driven. So like the game tells a story, and then of course it's got miniatures. Um, which are gorgeous. What, yeah. Well, yeah. there's been some about that. Oh. Um, but I mean, it ticks so many boxes on you know. What is a good game? And I know at the beginning of this, I said playability. Um, having never played this, looking at this game, though, and what they're trying to do with this game, this game looks like it is going to be a great game. And the unfortunate part is they have said, and the pledge manager is still open. This is probably one of the longest amount of times I've seen a pledge manager open because when we first went to lockdown back in 2000 is when this game launched on Kickstarter. Pledge manager is still open. Once the pledge manager closes, you can no longer get a copy of this game. Yeah. They're it's once they get it finalized and they know how many they have to make, that's how many they're making, that's how many they're shipping, and they're done. So they've done that with a few of their games now. It's true. Mine? I don't know. I don't know. You if own this, this one. I, I do own this game. Yeah, I, I bought into this recently, but I haven't had a chance. I've been painting this recently as well. Uh, it's something you that I talked about last night. You showed one of the characters last night, actually. Oh yes, it's Moonstone. Well, I talked about this on the channel, and it, it became kind of a thing that I. It became the secret game. Uh, And that alone should probably tell you how excited I am to actually play this. One of the big things for this for me, and George is already sick of listening to it, apparently. Um, No, I've got something in my eye. I was teasing. It's fine. Um, One of the big things for this for me is dice don't like me. And this is, what, the third or fourth time I'm saying this now. But it, it, it does genuinely become a problem when it's not just me complaining about dice. I have people that's witnessed this. It's not just me being a sad sack. And I mention this because I know that's how it sounds. There's like, mean, oh, the only it, reason I'm no good is because the dice don't like me. Like, no, no, no. There's actually evidence that, of this. It's not just me being a sad sack. Um, but Moonstone has card mechanics that replaces dice entirely. Well, the only thing about dice is that you scatter some D4s at the start of the game, and that's where the Moonstones are that you've got to collect. That's that's it. Um, Moonstone's a game that I really, really want to play. Uh, part of the problem with like, when I moved across into actually having a 9 to 5, which means that I can, you know, play games again, one of the ways that I rewarded myself was buying a few things to get into as a way of rewarding myself for having gotten through, quite frankly, what was a very stressful and miserable time. Um, and then I brought this as well. If I hadn't have brought so many things at the same time, I probably would have been playing this already. So that, to be fair, there's a few things I could have put here too. Um, you could make the same argument for Infinity, even though by rights I've had a demo. Um, and there's a few uh, Armadas. Sorry, Kings of War Armada is something that I suspect that I'm really going to enjoy. I'm really looking forward to that. Oh my god, it's number one, number one, oh my god, it's number one, number one. It's time to move on to the big one. Who do we want to start with? Ben? Uh, well, Ben, Bushido. Yeah, I don't think this is going to surprise anybody that's been following. 
Um, but Ben is a winner of a tournament recently. It's what connected to us. People from his community is like, you should reach out to a few podcasts and try to get the word out. And that's like, he didn't reach out to us to big note himself. He reached out to us because he's really passionate about trying to get more people to play this game. Um, and he kind of felt like talking about winning a tournament is probably a good place to start. And I'd agree with him. Um, Ben says, oh, sorry. No, Ben didn't say this. This was my commentary. Uh, it's currently the only game that he's actively playing. And that really should tell you a lot about how much he enjoys the game. Like, Bushido is not the biggest game. I mean, it, it has a following, but it doesn't, it's not, it's not 40k. It's, it's, it's not infinity. Uh, it's, no, 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 it, it it is a growing game that is being built by people that do their job part time. And I, I still find that amazing that Bushido is as big as it is, given that this is not their full time job. That is amazing to me. Um, but, yeah, it's it's the only game that he's really actively playing right now. And when it's a game that game of that size, it's not always easy to get. I mean, he does have a local group that's playing it, which is obviously why he's playing it. But there are other games that he could play a, a lot easier if he wanted to. If there was something about the game that just didn't hit it, he could very easily go back into 40K or anything else. But no, it's it's Bushido that he's choosing to put his time into. That should say enough. Uh, George. No, sorry. Oh, Bish- yeah, yeah no, George. Let's do Michelle's. Okay. Uh, Fleet Commander. Um, this should not be a surprise. I mean, with no. the exception of Ben, it, it is something as a game that all of us have in common. Yeah. Um, and if you look at what Michelle does for the community, it's an it's he insane. Is, he is very active, very support. I mean, he does as much for Drop Fleet Commander as actual employees of TT Combat. I would agree with you yeah. on that. So um, and and I would argue that TT Combat know it. I've never heard them oh, say it, but I, I suspect that they know how much he does for them. Considering the support they throw his way when he does stuff in yeah. the community like the community paint projects the, the, the even for Zoe, you know the amount of support they throw behind him when he organizes this stuff is evident of you know the confidence they have in him, of his passion for them yeah and um, i just want to make it very clear because i don't think it's extremely obvious michelle gets nothing for this yeah no other than like a relation i mean he is a tt agent like i am um but I that's don't think it. there's another agent on the planet that's doing as much work as he is, like legitimately. Yeah. And he like he gets nothing from it. Like they don't pay him. He's not getting free stuff out of it. It's, uh, all of the free stuff that he gets goes to the community, legitimately. Yeah. Uh, and then his comment on it because of very cool spaceships, interesting mechanics, and a great yeah. And a community is a very important part that we haven't really spoken about much. Uh, but it's arguably the most important part of any game and it's the one that never gets talked about legitimately as for you know you know we talk about all the problem players all the stuff that you see because of the size of the community i can literally count on a hand the number of players that are an issue yeah but that's probably fair i haven't really tried to count them but yeah um i think the other important like there are some games that i have never touched because of the community Uh, i've openly talked about one of them and that's Warmer Hordes. I won't touch it because of that community. Hey, don't get me wrong. There's, a, there's positive aspects in that. It's a very large percentage of the community that's a problem. Uh, so I will never play that. I've played with people here. Um, but yeah, the overall community, you know, it's like they're very... Well, they're, they're like that, that one uh, army. They're, they're a bunch of trolls. <laughs> um, George. Oh, no, sorry. Before we move on. Drop Fleet Commander. This is the last thing I wanted to say on it. Drop Fleet Commander to this day remains the reason I haven't touched a billion sun. People keep on asking me why I haven't tried it, and I just don't have a reason to look elsewhere. 
Mate, look, maybe I need to have a look at it. Maybe I'd get some more games of stuff in if I did. But I want to push Drop Fleet Commander. I want more people to play Drop Fleet Commander. Uh, and me going to another space game, even if it's using the same minis, and I can guarantee you it would, because I have no reason to buy others. I would just use my Drop Fleet stuff. Um, all I would have to do is buy a rule book. I could get into it. I could get into it very easily, and I could get people playing it very easily. I already have people that I know playing this. I have friends that are trying to get me to play this, but I, I don't want to play this. I want to play Drop Fleet Commander. Um, that's It won't remain at number five forever. Um, George. So my number one, uh, this this one is a little bit of a, of a surprise to me. Um, but after hearing what I said about, you know, co-op game and hell, um, it really shouldn't be. And that is uh, Cthulhu Death May Die by Seamoth. So it's got this mystery. doesn't surprise me at all because the amount of times you've talked about it. Yeah. But great-looking miniature. So, I mean, you know, in this hobby, you know, that's the one thing we talk about is how great do the miniatures look. Great-looking. Um, one box has six scenarios. Second box has another six. So there's 12 scenarios. You team up those scenarios with a god. There are four gods readily available. There is a limited edition Kickstarter one that I'm trying to get my hands on. That would bring the total to five. So five times 12, that's a lot of mashing up a scenario. Yeah. Now there's 10 different investigators you play as. So if you play as three people game or four people, there's a lot of variabilities on, you know, the investigate. So lots of replayability, cooperative. It's based off the works of H.P. Lovecraft, who is arguably one of the founding fathers of the horror genre that day. Plus it's Cthulhu. He he only wrote like two things about Cthulhu because he died at a very young age. Imagine what he could have written about Cthulhu if he lived another 20 years. Yeah. Um, there There is a bit of a narrative. If not, it's not narrative driven, but the narrative writes itself because so you know it's such a commonplace um intellectual property in in the so, and even if even uh, if you don't know well, i haven't read the books but i know all about cthulhu like right. it's like you don't and i would argue that that's fairly universal at this point probably wouldn't yeah. have been 10 years ago but it's very universal now yeah yeah um, the the one knock I will have on it is it's not quite as hard as it should. Be. Now, I'm not saying it's not hard, but for the the stress and the horror aspect for the game, it could have been a little hard. Um, that's that a hard said, balance to get right, though. To be fair, yeah, no, and, 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 and you know, um, one of the games I've got up here that's a co-op game, Pandemic. I've never won it. No, but that's, that's a hard a, game. yeah, it's very very hard. Even when we've cheated and we've used every class, we've never won the game. Yeah, I've yet to lose a game of death may die because you can always like think you're you know and that's part of the co-op game is you sit down with the people you're playing with you have to think your way some um it's got loads of replayability it looks great um and as far as the gaming you know games like this go it's also a fairly reasonably priced one i want to say the core box is 50 or 60 i can't remember how when when i paid i Mm. don't know how much it is now and the expansion box was four that's all right I don't uh, know if this is available at retail, is it? Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, you yeah, can... so yeah, the price shouldn't have changed too much. Well, the earlier game on my list, uh, the, the Game of Thrones one, it's significantly cheaper now than when Thrones was popular. Ah, uh, so. yeah, no, fair enough. Um, but that, that is my number one. Yeah. So Number one for me. It, oh, sorry, yep. Honestly, it's going to take a lot or something amazing, which, you know, I've got a couple of, you know, Hell, The Last Saga, whatnot coming. But right now, it, it is almost a perfect game. Yeah. Um, my number one Ooh. actually legitimately did surprise me. And that's one of the reasons why it almost changed, what, 30, 40 minutes ago now. Um, because my number one was number one probably about four or five years ago. Uh, and 
to the point where I don't even know if there would have been a two or three. Uh, and then it got kind of trumped by Drop Fleet Commander, which would have been number one at some point, um, but hasn't because just real world. Uh, but number one for me, if you know me and listen to me, shouldn't really surprise you. It's another game without dice. It's Malifaux. Uh, Malifaux is really, really screwed up in its lore in places, and it, in a really positive way. Um, I really love the the Victorian horror steampunky aspect that you get in this. It really works. The miniatures are beautiful. Um, are they the easiest minis to build? No, not even close, but they don't need to be, quite frankly, because um, they, they go for a look, and then they will work the sculpt around how they want it to look, not they will change the look to suit what's easy to make in a miniature form. Uh, and it comes out with some miniatures that are really good. The only downside I will say uh, is that they do have these pre-assembled minis coming out every so often. Like the generic faction starter sets are all pre-assembled and it's the horrible, nasty PVC stuff. And look, I know, look I've i mentioned that I don't like them in the groups and I usually get flack for it uh, because, well, how dare you not like everything. Uh, but it's it's a horrible product, and it, those PVC minis always are. They're horrible to clean. Uh, they're fine to paint, and they're, like they look nice, but they're just nasty to try and clean. It just makes an ass. I enjoy the hobby, but I don't enjoy them, and it's a problem for me. But yeah, like Malifaux is number one for me, and it's it probably wouldn't have been before my game on December. Like Malifaux was a game that I hadn't touched for a while. I I feel I fell off. Malifaux. It was like, I need to get back to it. I need to get back to it. I need to get back to it. And at some point a few months ago, it probably still would have been on the list, but it would have been lower for the same reason that Drop Fleet Commander had, because I couldn't justify it being as high as it was um, without having played it. At that point, it would have been even longer. It would have been probably four years or five at that point. Um, but the moment I, I was, one of my goals for this year was that, no, I'm, I'm going to play Malifaux again. I need to play Malifaux again. It's it's something I need to play again. I love this game. I haven't touched it. And I did. I got a game in, and I just instantly remembered exactly why I love the game again. It's It really is that good. The card mechanics are balanced really nicely. Um, they do tweak it quite regularly to keep everything balanced. And, it, and I do mean balanced. I don't mean, um, well, it's balanced, but only until the next book comes out. No, the, the, everything that they do is balanced. Kind of like Bushido in that way. Um, Power Creep is something that I rant about semi-regularly for a reason, because uh, it really, really annoys me. Um, but it's not a problem with Malifaux, really. So I, I really like that aspect of it. Um, yeah, number one for me is Malifaux. Like, I'm I'm surprised, but I'm not. And like, this almost changed. Like, Wild West Exodus was almost number one for me. Uh, I considered Bushido, but no, it was always between those two. Um, but no, Malifaux tried tops it just because of the game that it is. Socks! Lucky so last. My number, yep, my number one I don't think I've ever, well maybe I have talked about it. It's uh, Twilight Imperium by Fanny. So does this mean um, we're going to be sitting here for 30 hours listening to you describe why you like it? Because it's Twilight Imperium? Have you played Twilight Imperium? No. no I'm never, <laughs> I'm, I am never playing this game. I refuse to. I know that it's good, but I can't, pl- I can't play a game that lasts that long. I just can't do it. It, it can last a very long time, but the re- playability of this game is yeah. infinite i will tell you that the, the only thing that's going to be a, a constant in the game is the very center of it. it's always going to be the same plan other than that the game is going to be different 
Yeah. Every single time, because you set up the board just like a Tom. It's a hex style board. Um, if you like technology, if you like space combat, if you like diplomacy, if you like stabbing people in the back because of secret objectives that you have and public objectives that you're trying to win on the board, you will absolutely love this game. I got this into this game uh, in third edition. I have four cam came with sixteen different races. I, you can get the expansion that can go up to 27 different races, and you can play with anywhere between three and eight players with the expansion pack. And so, my goodness, yes, I could go on for this game for forever because yeah. it is that good. Um, to, to clarify, I know that this is a good game. The reason I refuse to touch it is I just can't play a game that goes for as long as that one does. I don't have the patience for it. That is the problem. I mean, you're absolutely right. It, it is set to 10 turns, but those 10 turns could take eight to 10 hours because yep. of how complex this game is yes i may be first player because i have the speaker token but someone can steal that because of of the little tiles that you choose in the game to kind of play out the game there's there's different um strategy cards they call them and each strategy card has a different ability and someone could take the strategy token that then steals the speaker token from me and then i won't be first player the next round and so that the turn order is always changing based on what strategy token you got uh, during the game or during the, the strategy phase that you're picking your tokens. I mean, it's absolutely amazing. Yes, the miniatures aren't the greatest for a board game. It doesn't have to be, though. It's, it's, it it's not what it's absolutely. for. It, absolutely. And the, the fun thing about it is is there's each of the races is so many different. Do you want to be the board race? That's the Necron virus. It's pretty much a board race. You go in and take over... You win combat against someone, you can assimilate one of them because that's the only way you can earn technology. You want to be the person that can warp across the galaxy through wormholes? Sure, go be them. I mean, it's there's so many different races that have so many different abilities. This will probably always be number my number one because I love it so much. Yeah, and that's fair. I'm just the only reason I said what I did is because look, I just I I just know that I can't. I don't have the patience for it. No, you have to have the right player base to yeah. play this game, and just like Infinity, the learning curve. is is very steep because there is so much going on in this game that you have to understand. You have to understand the strategy of break phases, combat, how that works, diplomacy, construction value, or whatever. I mean, but yes. Yeah. So, have you ever heard of it, George? Uh, no, I was Googling it while you were talking about it. Uh, I had a feeling that that's what was on your screen. Yeah. <laughs> Holy, I don't I don't have a table big enough for my house for this. That's the other problem is you do have to have like a good solid six by four board because of how much space you need yes you can play three players but you need i would say minimum five players to actually make it really really good because this picture i'm looking at has eight people playing it and they've legit shoved two of those you know long plastic folding tables together and they're still running out of space and they're still cramped on this yes like every person needs their own little like two by two table next to them yes it's a whole lot of crap yeah yeah there is a lot going on with this with this but it, it's amazing absolutely love this game um ju just look at this game this looks like a game i would sit down at least twice to play once to learn it and kind of like okay like how much is there and like twice to you know okay, I kind of understand this, I'll play it now. I get the impression that this is a game that by the time you finish your first game, you would understand most of it. But yes. like the first game is almost kind of a wash because it's not really playing it, you're learning it first time. By the, I would say by the third or fourth round, you're getting the general game down. You have that understanding okay. works. By the third or fourth round, and so the rest of the game, as your, as your first game, you're just trying to play out the game. Your second game, you could go in there and, and totally understand how once you learn the, the concepts of how everything works, you would be able to, to understand it very easily. Yeah, like I said, the, the learning curve is kind of steep. 
Because yeah. by the third or fourth round, you've got the game almost. Yeah. And to, just played- just for the record, for those that are wondering why we keep on harping on about the, the learning curve for certain things, sometimes learning curve of a game being hard is actually kind of the point. Uh, mm-hmm. Like Twilight Imperium is extremely complicated, but it's not needlessly complicated. It's, it's complicated on purpose because it's trying to focus in on a very specific type of person. I'm not that person, which is why I would never play it. Uh, but there are people that really, really love stupidly complicated stuff. Uh, and I, I shouldn't say stupidly complicated, but it feels stupidly complicated to some people and not to others. Um, I mean, I, I love this game, but you've, you've seen Infinity. I've played Infinity a couple of times, like I mentioned that last night. Infinity's mm-hmm. on my list. I don't own any, but I enjoy it. But I think Infinity actually is steeper learning curve rules than Twilight Imperium. Yeah, I would say hands down. But anyways, so that's our top ten. Yeah. So before we get to the finish, George, I only have one last question I want to go through. Um, I know that we've all seen each other's lists, but was there anything on our, on our lists that surprised us about each other? Uh, I have uh, to admit, uh, Twilight Imperium was a surprise for me. I was gonna say, uh, like Twilight Imperium, I had never heard of the game before, so. Everything else on your list, socks. Like, here's my su- surprise. Yeah, we know you fairly well. Star Wars, war games, d- drop universe. Yeah, pretty much. For Bruce, for your list, Bruce. Yeah, if you've got one, yeah. Um, I think. I mean, I know we've talked about it because we've talked about some of the Kickstarter stuff that goes with it. Uh, Ticket to Ride. Uh, I, I'm a little shocked but, at that one too. That one's yeah. not a normal. You know, you don't. I, 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 you don't strike me as a Ticket to Ride person. Exactly. I really That's enjoyed Ticket to Ride. Um, I love that game Ticket too. to Ride is a game that I brought after watching it on a certain popular YouTube channel. Um, and I was like, this looks fun. And it actually surprised me how easy it was. Like, I thought it was going to be a lot harder to play than it was. And we, we were set up and going in like 15 minutes and everybody got it, um, which was so unusual for a game. And normally when it's that easy, it doesn't really hold up as well. But no, while Ticket to Ride right. is... Yeah, I, I love Ticket to Ride. Um, I haven't played Ticket to Ride for a little while, and I, I'm kind of itching to get a game in now just because I talked about it. Um, it just it just works. George, most of yours kind of makes sense to me. Um, Dresden Files was a surprise because I hadn't really heard of it. Same. Yeah, um, yeah, it's, a very, it's a very niche game. Yeah. Um, I think what was surprising for me, but it wasn't at the same time because I kind of knew it, but I was surprised that Age of Sigma and fantasy both held significant spots and but for very different reasons um yeah. like most of the community either love like love one or the other and not both there's very few people that in but genuinely enjoy my housemate steve is another one that genuinely enjoyed both um so no it just it's just, because i know how uncommon that is um that was kind of a little bit of a surprise was there anything yeah, well, that surprised it, you about your own list um you kind of touched on cthulhu mate death may die a little bit so so what actually really initially surprised me was when i first started making my list i did warhammer age of sigmar slash fantasy and then as as i was going through and i started to round it out i was just like i have to separate yeah because as as much as the intellectual property is shared between the two games I have to separate those two games because they are two entirely different games. Very. Period. Re- yeah. Regardless of the intellectual property. Um, the other thing that kind of surprised me is, you know, I was sitting there and I was just like, oh, you know what game I haven't played in so long? 
and it was the Game of Thrones one. I was just like, mm. that. so the 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 owners that I knew really well of the local gaming store, they had the attitude of, store closes at 10 o'clock at night, you know, we want to go sleep in our... But Friday and Saturday night, sometimes Sunday, Friday and Saturday nights, if there was people there at 11.30 at night, midnight, 1 o'clock in the morning, and there's still people there playing games, and typically they were, you know, they were playing games too, you know, the store stayed open, and people could play games till... 2.30 in the morning when, in a college town, what are most people doing at 2.30 in the morning? Stumbling home drunk from the bar. Yeah. They had their store open so people could sit there and keep playing. And and I remember that nostalgia of, I remember, you know, midnight, 1 o'clock in the morning, yelling at, you know, whoever's playing, you know, um the Lannisters of, what the hell are you, no, no, you are not taking my land. <laughs> yeah. Um, our, the, the store that I used to go to all the time and kind of need to get back to used to have a similar sort of thing. Uh, it's not quite the same now, obviously, because of current situations, but I imagine that once things are back to the normal, it will get back to that point again. Um, anything surprising on your own list, Sock? Did, did, actually, uh, did... Oh, no, sorry, answer this first. Kind of the same thing that, that George said about Sigmar and Fantasy, as I almost put Legion and Armada in the same grouping, but... Again, totally separate games. So I was like, no, I have to separate those as well. But then I'm surprised that even though I haven't played very many games of Black Seas, that it actually made my list. I I only bought the rule set and and have a few games, and I've only played against myself. But I'm, mm. but I'm surprised that I enjoy it so much that it actually made my list. So yeah, um, there wasn't really anything hugely surprising on mine. Um, it, it did surprise me how low I ended up leaving Drop Fleet, and it never really went any higher. Um, surprised about that. With how much we talked about it. But again, you, you've mentioned I love why. that game. I genuinely do love that game. But because I haven't been able to get to it, other things have taken the spots. Because yeah. it's just the natural ebb and flow of things. Yeah. Um, I, I love that game. I mean, I'm a TT agent, and I'm a TT agent for a reason. I love these games. Um, and ironically, look, the the ones that I'm an agent for are the two that feature. Um, but I, I was kind of surprised. I mean, I didn't really expect that it would be number one anymore, for obvious reasons. It's, I haven't had a chance to get to it. But it does surprise me that it's only made middle of the road. Um, I'm surprised that a game like Bot War, which is, I mean, it's not overly hard. It's simple to pick up. And it's not just because nostalgia. I mean, look, anybody could sell... kids sell Transformer minis. If I wanted to make up my own game, I could. Uh, I'd only be able to play with four things, but I could. But it's a very small game from a very small one-man team developer. Um, I'm kind of surprised that it's taken a significant spot. Uh, I'm kind of hoping that I don't get this response of... How is it only number seven? Um, I, I really hope that I don't get that response because it shouldn't be the response I get. Um, I do know people in our community that probably would have that at number one or number two. Um, within our playing community, I know for a fact that there would be people that have it up there. But I'm surprised that a game that I've only gotten into so recently has featured so prominently. Um, on Michelle, I mean, Ben's list, I, I that nothing on that surprises me at all. Uh, the only thing I'd probably say is Underworlds. Because I kind of would have thought that Underworlds came after he'd stopped looking at them. Because I know he he tries to avoid Games Workshop to some extent. I might be over-exaggerating that slightly. Um, uh, no, I, what, from what you said and everything, doesn't surprise me one bit. It's the same reason why I avoid uh, KF. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. I, I cooked there for two and a half years when I was a teenager. I still... <laughs> I think the only thing that surprises me about Michelle's list is how much is there specifically for the nostalgia. No. And it's a big part of gaming. Don't get me wrong. I get that. I'm just surprised. Like, there's a significant part of that list. It's like, well, I have this because I, lo I love it and I used to play it and it gave me this. And it got literally the reason he met his wife is on the list. How can <laughs> yeah. you expect that? 
I mean, that's and, and to me, that's what I, I like about his top ten list is you know his list is more about the memories it made and the memories yeah. he has from it. Yeah. Like if you like, there's three games on my list. Like you know the nostalgia, like 40k. That's yeah. nostalgic for me. Um, Sellers of Catan. It's one of the first games I got. That is, you know, you know, of this type of, of, of game. And then, you know, the, the, the Forbidden Island, for De- Forbidden Desert, the primary reason I had those games, like, I knew about those. I've seen them on uh, the Will Wheaton tabletop show he had years Which ago. Which is what I was referencing I, earlier. Yeah, I, I've seen those, you know, I knew about them. And then when I found out that, you know, my son had played those games, and he was like, yeah, they're pretty cool. I was just like, Amazon car ordered here, you know, yeah. because that's something he likes playing those. Cool. We're gonna play those yeah. because in another fifteen years, I'd be like, "These games are great. I played them with with you when you were, you know, teenager." Yeah. yeah. So, um, one last question before we wrap this up: Did you have trouble doing your list? Nope. You had, I, like I said, I, I had mine done in forty minutes. Are you surprised at how easy that? Was? No. Okay. <laughs> Socks. I think I took a little bit longer uh, because I, I was moving stuff around up and down, up and down, up and down, yeah. deleting stuff replacing stuff so it was a little difficult but not too bad i pretty much knew what my top five were i mean you saw me i switched my five and six right before we recorded this earlier i had armada on top and then i switched it for legion um so, you know, just to expand on how how easy this was for me so ticket to ride is in sam's so i can't touch uh uh the the game of thrones one i never had a copy but i'm picking up a copy so yeah it's not here Every other game, see, here's Cthulhu, Tan, there's Dresden, my Warhammer stuff's down there. Uh, what are the other ones? Uh, oh, uh, yeah, I mean, they're all right, you know. Yeah. Same as mine. My, well, yeah, because Twilight's over there, company. So all my games that I have are within the three or four shelves that I have in my, yeah. my room, too. So. I really struggled with this, but I always knew I was going to. And that, again, that's the thing. I've said this three or four times now. Uh, but... I think the hardest thing I had with this was actually getting out of my own head. But you know when, like, you need to have an awkward conversation with your boss and you keep on putting it off for another five minutes and the longer you put it off, the harder it gets? That was me starting this. I didn't start this for, like, three or four days because I, I, I was just messing myself up in my own head with how hard I thought this was going to be. I, when I actually started, my actual top ten maybe took me an hour. In saying that, it's changed significantly a few times. Um, so, I mean, I was... I didn't find it as hard as I... Ex- I'm not saying that it was easy, but I didn't find this as hard as I thought I would. I always kind of knew what was going to feature. It was just a matter of, okay, where do they land? Uh, I wasn't 100% sure if Ramble Slam would make it to the top 10, but I hoped it would, and it did. Um, I still... Wild West Exodus was always supposed to be there, and just for some reason I didn't type it in. I don't know how that happened. <laughs> it's not that I didn't. It's not that I forgot about it. I mean, I did forget about it, but I, I always knew it was supposed to be there, and I always knew it was going to be near the top. But for some reason, it just I didn't type it for whatever reason. And I concentrated so much on what I had done that I got there at some point, and I was like, okay, so I need to look at this again and make sure I'm not forgetting anything. And then I went into chat. Oh my goodness, I can't believe I forgot Wild West Exodus. Uh, I really enjoyed this, and hopefully this episode goes well because I'd like to visit this again next year. We are at some point going to do one for role playing games, but we need to work out how that's going to work because it might be a top five. It's going to depend on where we want to draw that line. Um, at this stage, early thoughts would be it's role playing game slash. Dungeon Crawlers. Um, I don't know how many other games you guys have played. I know I've played a few, but I wouldn't be able to do... 
Yeah, so that's going to be a problem. Yeah. All right. Well, let's play this because we're getting a little long in the tooth on this. Yeah. But it is the Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Eric Mata and Sandato. 